Okay, it looks like we're good, so we'll go ahead and get started. And, and I'd just like to do the flag salute, so if everybody stand with me. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Okay, roll call. Uh, Mr. Sevison is absent. Mr. Gray? Here. Mr. Moss? Here. Mr. Johnson? Here. Mr. Nader? Here. Mr. Ricucci? Here. Mr. Denial? Here. Okay. We'll go ahead and have our report. EJ? Oh, you broke it again. There we go. We're up. Good morning, Chairman, members of the Commission. I'm E.J. Valdi with the Planning Services Division. Uh, first, uh, I'll update you on the uh, recent Board of Supervisors meetings on January 22nd. The Board considered options for a temporary emergency shelter for the homeless uh, within the DeWitt Center. The Board decided that would retain jurisdiction over this matter rather than have it heard before the Planning Commission and they ended up continuing the matter to its February 3rd BOS meeting. On February 3rd, uh, the board actually took action to approve that permit. Uh, that was to use buildings 303A and B in the government center as an emergency shelter. Uh, the board also considered a site access agreement with, uh, that was with Right Hand Auburn, and that was for the operation of a temporary emergency shelter uh, that discussion was continued to the board's uh, February 24th meeting. That was this week. Uh, during that meeting, the board did approve the site access agreement with the Right Hand Auburn for operation of the temporary facility. Uh, my understanding is that they still have to oper uh, work out a few details before they move forward. Uh, on Tuesday, they also considered the Riolo Vineyard specific plan, uh, which your commission took action on. Uh, they did not take any formal action on Tuesday. They'll be bringing it back on uh, March 24th, uh, where they'll be looking at amendments to the DA and the fiscal plan once those are finalized. So for the Planning Commission, uh, at the commission hearing on January 22nd, if you recall, your commission took uh, a 7-0 vote on the Rogers variance. Uh, that's where you upheld the zoning administrator's decision. Uh, that was for the variance uh, uh, for the structures that were built too close to the property lines. Uh, that item uh, was not appealed by the appellant, uh, so that's going to be remanded back to code enforcement to follow up on corrective action of that situation. Our next planning commission meeting is going to be March 12th. Uh, we have three items on there, the Squaw Valley Siberia lift replacement. Uh, there is a subdivision modification for residents in Alpine Meadows. And then Rio Bravo uh, is going to be coming back. That was, if you recall, uh, they want to add a tub grinder as part of their operation. I know they had some issues to resolve regarding the Placer Parkway and uh, some right-of-way issues. So anyway, they'll be coming back at the March 12th hearing. Uh, as I've mentioned before, there's you know a lot of outstanding Tahoe uh, projects uh, that uh, the, the applicants and opposing project, uh, opposing parties are trying to get resolved. So at some point, we will be making a trip up to Tahoe. We just don't have a, a, a firm date right now. 
So that's all I have for my report. Uh, you know, we have a couple workshops today on the agenda and then uh, one uh, extension of time. So if you have any questions, I'll be happy to answer those. Otherwise, we can get started. Okay, thank you. All right, thank you. Okay, at this time, I'll open it up to the public um, for comment on any items that are not on our agenda today. If anybody has anything to say to the commission, now is your chance. Seeing none, I'll close that portion and we'll go to our first item, North Shore Station at Kings Beach Station, extension of time. Alan? Thank you. Yes, sorry, um, I'm the project planner, uh, Alan Bruch, up from the Tahoe area. This is an extension of time for three years. Um, for the North Shore Station in Kings Beach. Get everyone oriented on the location. You did take action back in 2009 for this particular project as a conditional use permit and a mitigated neck deck. Um, the location is in the red right here. It's at the gateway coming in from the east. Directly to the north, we consider the, the grid, which is residential, multifamily, and single-family development. And this location is Kings Beach Special Area number two, which is the west. Uh, entryway coming in. Get everyone oriented on the surrounding land uses. You have Caliente Restaurant at this location. There's Kings Beach Car Wash. The particular site used to be a hotel motel site. It was demolished uh, and removed and the applicant approached staff back in 2009 to propose the gas station use. There is an easement that goes across the property right here and there's the Minnow parking lot which is a public parking area as part of the core project for mitigation measures. Um, you, there's about 20 parking spaces here that currently stand. And over on the west side is the uh, Pack Bell building um, there for uh, telephone. Now here's orientation of the surrounding land uses. This is from the Minnow parking lot directly to the south. This is looking at the site as it stands today. This is to the west. This is the site. And this is looking over the, the Kings Beach car wash. It is about a 2,500 square foot commercial building. Down below would be the uh, gas station services and operations. Upstairs at the time when this went through, they were, the applicant was thinking different kinds of land uses. So we did look at the parking to anticipate what those would be. At that time, they didn't know what it was going to be at that, for, uh, for uses. It would be office or retail would be allowed. This gives an orientation what it looks like uh, from the entryway down to the south as well as to the north. To the north, there are fences and a residence there. This is the floor plan. Um, so the fuel gas station is right here with the fuel pumps. The commercial building is here, parking. Here's the easement that goes up to the parking lot area. So staff did review the extension of time uh, to make sure that it still meets the mitigated negative declaration, which it does. There was a letter correspondence that came in that asked several questions about that. Staff reviewed it. It is adequate in our opinion, and we are recommending to staff to redo the uh, approval of that particular environmental document. It's adequate enough for the extension of time, that is. Um, there was a question about the community plan update that is going currently as it goes right now. I don't have a timeline exactly when that's going to be approved, but this particular project is within the confinements of what exists out there today as a, as a community plan, which is allowed by a conditional use permit. So and that's what the applicant is exercising. 
There have been additional correspondence after we received that initial uh, email from Megan Cellini, and she did correspond with me last night. She's unable to make today's meeting, but she did correspond another email to you, what you should have with you. Um, and she was uh, mainly concerned about that type of gas station at this location. Um, obviously, the, the land uses do allow it, and so we're proposing uh, extension of time for three years on this particular project. In the past, there was 19 uh, emails and letters in favor of the project. It did go to NITRAC, which is our North Tile Regional Advisory Council, unanimously recommending approval to you back in 2009. There was one abstention, and that happened to be Megan on that previously back in 2009. Um, there's a question about uh, also other gas stations being closed. I try to check with their environmental health department about that. I don't have an answer right now. Um, that's outside the preview, obviously, of the extension of time, but it was a good question. Um, obviously, the county would get involved if the closure of that gas station, we'd have to mediate for, uh, you know, Brownfield if necessary. But I don't have an answer. That was one of the questions in one of those emails. With that, if there's any questions, I'd be glad to, glad to help out and answer. Any, any questions? Alan, one of the uh, notes that we got from people that were, uh, were either support or opposition said that there was like eight gas stations in the area, but I think they were going to a pretty broad area, but there was an indication there's two gas stations in Kings Beach. Is correct. that that's correct? Is, that is correct. And they're older stations? That, that, that is correct. Time? Yeah, and that's a good point, too. There used to be um, a gas station. Let me go back to the vicinity map. Directly on Chipmunk, there used to be a Swiss Mart, they called it, and that one's been uh, removed. Uh, so there was an older gas station that's completely removed now. Uh, but now there's two in the community plan area. That is correct. Okay. okay. Any other questions for Alan? Okay. I uh, do have the applicant here. Um, at this time, I'll open it up if anybody wants to make a comment on this item. Or, or the applicant, I'm sorry. Applicants here. Sorry about that. Didn't That's mean okay. to. I guarantee you I would have given you an opportunity to come. <laughs> do I hit the. I don't have to do anything. Yeah. You don't have to if you don't want to. Oh, okay. Just state your name. My name is Leah Kaufman, and um, long history. Um, we purchased the property back in 2003, and there was a. Um, a blighted motel. So the hotel had, it was, I guess, the home of uh, um, a lot of crystal meth users. We had 152 respondents to the police in a year and a half. And so we scraped the hotel, um, left it a vacant lot, which was maybe a mistake. Then the economy turned bad. We put the property up for sale. And we had a person that came in that had wanted this gas station. And so we, he spent a couple hundred thousand dollars going through the entitlement process, got to the point where the economy really tanked and he backed out. So it may not be a gas station in the future, but all that work and all the planning and all the documents are what we're trying to preserve um, at this point. Alan did a fabulous job on the staff summary. He pretty much said everything that I could say. I'm here to answer any questions. Um, hopefully the economy has improved and 
the intent for this type of gas station was biofuels and for it had electric car plug-ins. The upstairs was going to be an art gallery and a Pete's Coffee, so it was like a multi-faceted building, and then it was, you know, designed to be very compatible with the town. Okay. So. Thank you. Any questions? Any questions? Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Okay. Now, if there's anybody in the public that would like to comment on this. Seeing none, I'll go ahead and close it off and bring it back to the commission for a motion on the time, extension of time. Okay, well, I'll move the, uh, a motion on the extension of time. And let me see here. Uh, Okay, this uh, mitigated declaration on the North, Stars, North Shore Station was adopted on October 22, 2009 by the Planning Commission. And uh, the findings uh, pursuant to CEQ guidelines uh, are appropriate for the extension of time request as there, are no there is no evidence of substantial changes proposed in the project. No substantial changes have occurred with respect to the circumstances under which the project was undertaken, and there is no new information of substantial importance that has been identified. All previous mitigation measures remain applicable to the proposed project. And uh, extension of time, uh, I guess I just covered all that, so that's my motion. Okay. I'll second that. Extension and a second. So roll call. Conditions. You know, your microphone's not on, so I don't know if I heard all that. Oh, subject to time and condition. I think conditions. Okay. Yes, if you could just amend that motion to say that you're approving the um, extension of time subject to the findings and conditions of approval. Okay, subject to the time and conditions. Okay. And I still second it. And okay, motion second. Okay, roll call. Uh, Mr. Sevison's absent. Mr. Gray? Yes. Mr. Moss? Yes. Mr. Johnson? Yes. Mr. Nader? Yes. Mr. Ricucci? Yes. Mr. Denial? Yes. Okay. Motion carries. We'll go ahead and go to item number two, West Placer Stormwater Quality Design Manual Workshop. <coughs> Good morning. Um, I'm Crystal Jacobson with Placer County Planning Services um, Division, and with me today is uh, Rebecca Tabor with the Engineering Division. She's going to give a part of the presentation. And then we also have Mary Keller with our Department of Public Works Stormwater um, Group, in case we have any questions that I'm unable to answer. So, whoops. The item before you today is um, this is a workshop, it's really an informational um, item. Um, and it's the West Plaster Stormwater Quality Design Manual. Um, so just by way of background, as part of the county's um, PCCP, the, the um, Plaster County Conservation Plan, and the permit coverage under the state's NPDES, which is the National Pollutant Discharge Elimination System Small Municipal Water Program, 
Um, we are required to prepare uh, this design manual. And Rebecca Tabor will talk a little bit more about that permit as we get more into the presentation. Um, I do want to point out that the preparation of the manual is really a multi-jurisdictional effort. Um, so it is um, being funded um, by Placer County, the City of Auburn, Lincoln, Loomis, and Roseville. And so it will apply to all of, all of our jurisdictions. So just to talk a little bit about um, where um, this came from um, and the understanding of stormwater regulations, it really came from the Clean Water Act in 1987, which uh, really established a structure for regulating stormwater. And so really they created the MPDES um, program that I just spoke about. Um, and so the Central, water, uh, Central Valley uh, Regional Water Quality Control Board is actually responsible for issuing those permits, and so they have issued uh, Placer County a permit, which Rebecca, again, will speak about a little bit later. Um, but really the permit requires agencies to implement uh, programs to prevent pollution, improve and protect uh, stormwater quality, reduce stormwater runoff, and then really enhance the ecologic vitality of our watersheds. So some key changes in stormwater regulation. There's a focus to go towards kind of small-scale uh, decentralized stormwater management practices, um, focus on eliminating pollution at its source. Um, the approach is intended to kind of mimic pre-development conditions on site, so pre-development hydrology. And then really also to, um, to treat water at its site, so water quality uh, treatment on site. Um, the, the manual is intended to provide technical guidance to project proponents and developers as they uh, develop their projects. Um, it really to develop designs that require the implementation of permanent um, stormwater um, BMPs, best man management practices, and then really to comply with that permit I talked about, and also the PCCP as it relates to um, wetland uh, infill. So the manual only pertains to the west portion of the Placer County. It does not pertain to the, the eastern portion that you see here. So this is the boundary here. And then the standards will take effect in uh, July 1st or July 1st, 2015. So really one of the key drivers to the new permit is, is the treatment of water quality. Um, and, and the treatment of water quality intended that the pollutants are the suspended soils and sediments, the nutrients, metals, oils and greases, um, bacteria, pesticides and herbicides, and increased water temperature as well. So just to talk a little bit about the old approach and how we've done business um, to date really is, is collecting, conveying, detaining large volumes of stormwater. So this is an example of a, of a kind of a lot and block type subdivision where you know, pretty much the entire site of the subdivision is developed into lots. All of those lots presumably could have, you know, a substantial um, amount of impervious surface, and so with that impervious surface, you get a lot of stormwater runoff. Um, and then the idea is that all of that runoff comes down, and you detain it on, on, you know, a large basin area on on the larger site. The new approach is what's called low impact development. Some of you may have heard of that. It's LID is how we refer to it, and really the idea here is that it's um, small scale. Uh, landscape-based um, approach that mimics nature. So the idea is to capture, treat, and infiltrate stormwater on site. Um, and the, the idea here is that it's a, you disconnect the flow path. So it's this, that slow the flow, you've probably heard that term. But the idea is to try to capture um, water at its source and it infiltrates into the ground. It then recharges the groundwater, um, but then it also slows that flow of water. And so this is the same the same one that you 
saw here, the same site, but it's just a different design. And so we're kind of moving towards this, um, a, a different approach to site design. And so what you see here is, you know, trying as much as possible to maintain the existing vegetation by clustering the lots. So it's a, it's a you have smaller lots, um, and then ultimately, you know, a, a um, reduced runoff of the water. But in addition to that, on each site, you'll have different kinds of design um, um, characteristics of each site that where you can actually get infiltration on each of those lots as well. You still have some some runoff, as you can see. You still have a basin down here, and you'll you'll have some runoff. But the idea is to try to limit that that runoff. So I just want to walk you through some examples. These are um, local examples we tried to use. Um, so maybe you've seen them. This is um, a curb cuts in Auburn. So when the city of Auburn did their streetscape um, improvements in the downtown area, they used a lot of LID features. Um, so what you see here is the water is captured in this little landscaped area, and the idea is that you get the infiltration. Again, you get groundwater recharge, which is great, considering the drought that we're in. Um, but in addition to that, you get reduced runoff. Here again, um, this is Rood Center in Nevada City. This is a, um, a, sw a swale, a bioretention swale. Same sort of thing. The idea is to get the water treated in the swale before it runs off, so you reduce the runoff. Here's um, an example of pervious pavement. Um, you know, it looks a lot like impervious pavement, but, but you can see it um, infiltrates into the ground. Lake Tahoe, you'll, you're going to see a lot of examples in Lake Tahoe. Um, mostly because these types of standards are already required through the Tahoe Regional Planning Agency. Um, we also have, I think it's noteworthy to point out, that we have developed an LID manual for the Tahoe area. It's just a guideline manual. It wasn't adopted by our board, but it does provide a toolkit for developers for developing in the Tahoe Basin area. Um, and so you'll see here, again, pervious concrete, same kind of thing as the pervious pavement. Um, it, the water will infiltrate. And then here, again, the retention swale. So the idea is to, again, slow that flow. And then here in Elk Grove, you can see a, a rain barrel. This is really unique. So this is, again, something that you can do on site. So right, right on your, um, you know, a, a home site, really. You can capture the rainfall that comes off of, the, off of your roof and then use that water to uh, irrigate your landscaping. And then here, again, is a rain garden. Same kind of concept here is that you use the um, the rainwater to irrigate the landscaping on your site. Here's some uh, pervious pavement examples. Uh, this one's a little dark, but all three of these, the idea is for the water to infiltrate into the ground and recharge that groundwater and reduce stormwater runoff. And then a rain garden in, um, this is in West Sac. Here's another um, interceptor tree. Um, Curiously, we, there was actually a segment on the news last night about um, these features in Sacramento and, and how they're helping with the drought in terms of trying to capture the water on site and really recharging that, the groundwater. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Rebecca uh, to talk really about the permit, and then we'll, um, I'll summarize at the end and talk about next steps in the process and where we go from here um, and answer any questions that you would have. Thank you, Crystal. Good morning. The, I wanted to start with the, the permit. Um, Placer County is an MS4, and that's, I'm going to explain that. But um, based on the 2010 census data, the State Water Resources Control Board used that and determined that um, Placer County's unincorporated 
urbanized areas are subject to this general permit um, and that we are an MS4. MS4 means a municipal separate storm sewer system. M plus four S's. Um, so this is the actual permit. Um, and just one section of it today is what I'll be talking to you about. It, it has to do with land development projects, the post-construction requirements. Um, but the county is subject to all of the requirements in this state permit. We are covered under that permit. So we are a permittee. And as of July 1st, 2013, we became subject to this permit. Um, section E12 is, is the section that is kind of spelled out here in, in some general terms, but that is the section that has to do with post-construction stormwater management program. Um, regulated project categories are defined in this section, and it goes on to cover the site design measures, source control measures, low-impact development design standards, hydro modification measures, and then O&M requirements. This flowchart helps to determine the permit implementation levels. Smaller projects, Oh, shoot, sorry. Hmm, there we go. Smaller projects, 2,500 to 5,000 square feet of impervious surface that they're, they're uh, proposing, only that much more impervious surface. They're only subject to site design measures and to reduce runoff. Um, most projects we see are bigger than that. So if there's 5,000 square feet of impervious surface or more, it's a regulated project. And those projects are subject to all of these requirements. Um, if it's a bigger project, one acre or more, and we do have plenty of projects in that category, they are subject to hydro modification management. And that includes the site design measures, source control, runoff reduction, stormwater treatment, and then also this, um, this requirement that post-project flows do not exceed pre-project flow from the two-year, 24-hour storm. And I'll get to that more in a, in a little bit. But all projects are subject to annual summary and certification of compliance submitted to the State Water Resources Control Board. SMARTS is the online system that the State Board has for reporting, and it stands for the Stormwater Multiple Application and Reporting Tracking System. There's a lot of acronyms in water quality. Question, if I could. Sure. Who does the reporting on the and the certificate of compliance? Is that something that that whoever does the development is going to be retaining an engineer for life now? And it's well, a little bit of both. It's on the county to do the reporting because we are the permittee. But we have the, the applicant or the developer or, you know, the project owner report to us annually. And Mary can probably help me answer that later because Mary's the stormwater coordinator. So, so this is a, a, a perpetual commitment to an engineer or something every time you do a project? There's an ongoing reporting requirement in this permit. And it's, it's a little difficult for us, the county, to do that, but we need to rely on the, the people that are actually operating their sites. And that's state mandated. Yeah. Yes, it's in the permit. Sometimes we tell them no. <laughs> so site design measures. 
these are listed in the permit. So these are the, the eight things that are listed as site design measures. Every project has to choose at least one of these. And you could use, choose more than one. And, and these, are, these are pretty basic, really, because you'll see you know, tree planting and preservation. A lot of projects are doing that. Preservation, if you keep an existing tree, you know, you've, you've done that. So these are, these are typically um, not difficult to do. There's, there's more difficult things, green roofs. You know, we don't see many projects proposing that. But the intent of these is evaporation and infiltration, um, both of which reduce site runoff. Source control measures. These are listed in the permit. We've seen these before in the previous permit. Um, nothing really new here. These types of uses we were already requiring that they have certain BMPs for outdoor storage, for example, or if they're going to do vehicle equipment repair and maintenance, we have special certain BMPs that are standard to prevent water quality um, degradation. LID design. So this is this is newer for us, but um, so regulated projects are required to implement LID standards to reduce runoff, treat stormwater, and provide baseline hydro modification management to the extent feasible. These are the steps that are called out in the permit for projects to, to walk through to, and to show compliance with the permit. Um, site assessment comes first. They need to define the development envelope and protected areas for their site, identify areas that are most suitable for development and areas to be left undisturbed, concentrate development on portions of the site with less permeable soils and preserve areas that can promote infiltration, limit overall impervious coverage, set back development from creeks, wetlands, and riparian habitats, preserve significant trees, um, replicates the site's natural drainage patterns. The, the next step is drainage management areas. Um, really, we've been doing that anyway. We ask for drainage reports. Um, it's just said a little differently in the permit, but it's, it's um, creating a map of your site and breaking it into small sub-watershed areas and then taking the water from each area and figuring out ways to infiltrate, reduce that runoff piece by piece. Site design measures, source controls, we already talked about those, but the, the project would need to to implement those into their design. These are all done at the early planning stage. And then last is uh, stormwater treatment measures. After you've reduced the runoff as much as you can by going through all these steps, the remaining runoff you have left, you then treat through bioretention, infiltration on site, and there's uh, the, the sizing for those BMPs is either flow-based or volume-based, and that's specified in the permit. So that's what the numeric sizing criteria is. They have to, they have to size it based on the permit requirements. Then, hydro modification management, um, kind of a big word that's thrown around a lot lately, so I thought I'd take a minute and kind of define it. Um, Hydrology is the movement, distribution, and quality of water on Earth. So hydro modification, in general, 
means changes in a channel, which is a stream, creek, or river, associated with alterations in flow and sediment due to past or proposed future land uses. So hydromodification management is more common term these days because degradation of the physical structure of the channel indicates broader impacts to many beneficial uses, such as water supply, water quality, habitat, public safety. So the goal is to reduce hydromodification and its effects in order to protect and restore the beneficial uses. So as in effect, July 1st in this year, just a few months from now, the county is required per the permit to develop and implement hydromodification procedures. That's why we're working on this manual. We have a consultant on board to help us put together this manual to guide developers and how to comply. Um, <clears throat> as I said previously, the, the bottom line is that post-project runoff shall not exceed the estimated pre-project flow rate for the two-year 24-hour storm. An operation and maintenance verification program is also required by the permit. So this is a, the template we're working on with our consultant team. Um, regulated projects greater than 5,000 square feet. We're, we're ha having a consultant put this together to um, help guide developers through and walk them through these steps. And the end result will be more or less a report that will be created as they walk through the template. They'll be able to design their project, show us that they've gone through this template, implement LID where they can, and we will be able to say to the state that the project has met the requirement and they've, they've attempted as best to the extent feasible that they've designed their project using LID. Um, the plan will officially be called the West Placer Stormwater Quality Design Manual. And it will help the county determine compliance of development with this permit. Rebecca, my, my question is, I get the part on new construction, but what about existing businesses in the county is, is this something that they're going to have to comply with or, do, or are they working under a different thing? Because I know my only experience is, is going through Roseville's process mm -hmm. and I know the state first came out and I mean they just sort of dumped on all, all businesses that you will comply with this within a certain time. And, and when it came up, I was down in Sacramento, and basically what they wanted first draft would have put me out of business immediately. Couldn't comply with it. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder what the county's workings with existing business, because I heard you mention, you know, like, ex not, you didn't say existing, but, you know, we were saying on development, you know, stuff that had already been developed and stuff. Is there like a timeline or something for compliance or? It's, it's not retroactive on existing impervious surface, but it applies to new impervious surfaces being proposed. So there, there's redevelopment projects in some cases that come in and they already have a building and a parking lot, for instance, and they want to 
add to the building and add some parking area if that exceeds yeah and, a certain and amount of impervious they become subject went in where it's piece by piece but I know the original blush from the state was didn't matter if you had one acre or 60 acres you had to make the whole thing come into compliance and then they they sort of pushed that one out but I didn't know what the county's effect on on working with existing businesses if they came in for a permit as you just said to to modify one building as their business or right. say redo a parking lot or add on to it that that it just covers that part that they're doing but it doesn't you know affect the whole business I, I will say that there are a lot of other sections to this permit <laughs> and Mary Keller being our stormwater coordinator she may be able to answer that when we when we wrap up the presentation um, the part I was just speaking to is is the new kind of the new land development oh. projects right okay thank you you're welcome I think we just have the one more slide so in summary um, I just want to point out to you again that this is a multi-jurisdictional effort um, the intent is that this um, the manual will provide kind of a toolkit um, for developers, but then also for you know the j various different jurisdictions, and they can take different pieces out and modify or update their their plans um, and their codes. Um, and so um, it it will it takes effect in July 1st, 2015. That's the intention. Um, and then um, again, it's just the idea is to re you know reduce those those peak flows. Um, the manual draft would be ready in late spring. Um, and we have been outreaching um, to the community. We have formed a TAC. I am not the lead on this, this project. Our, our lead is actually out on maternity leave, so I'm helping her out. So I haven't been involved in the, in the outreach piece. Um, but we do have a technical advisory committee that um, consists of architects, biologists, developers, engineers. And so we have tried to engage um, the community we had I believe one public workshop Mary might be able to answer questions related to the outreach efforts but we do continue to outreach um, and then I just want to point out that that ultimately um, at the end what this this will um, result in is some changes to our code so you're going to see some changes to the zoning code come forth at a later date um, as we you know carry these um, these changes um, into you know the actual business that we do so any any questions? Uh, just to be clear, you may have gone over this, but this is over five thousand square feet. Yeah, um, we can go back to that. Let's go back to that slide that Rebecca went over. Yeah, it's, bear with me here. I think it was near the front. There. So it's it's basically there's like kind of tiered approach in terms of the size of your of your project. Um, so the 2,500 uh, 2, to five thousand square feet. You have to have, and Rebecca, help, help me out here, but I believe you just have to have some site design measures to that site. Um, it's when you get into the 5,000 square feet where it's regulated. So I'm not, we don't regulate the 2,005, is that right, Rebecca? They just have to choose a site design measure and then quantify their runoff. So one, one site design measure gets a little bit more, you know, as you get a little bit bigger, your project gets bigger. Um, the requirements get a little bit um, bigger as well. Okay, so the checklist that we just talked about would be on an over 5,000 square foot is that correct? project. And I guess the other part of my question is, uh, 
This would be any kind of project that requires what, a building permit? Discretionary or? permit. Huh? A discretionary permit, so a land use entitlement. So these would be projects that would be coming before your commission. Would it be uh, administrative use permits? Uh, the smaller projects would be, I'm permit? sorry, so I should, I should take that back. The smaller projects that don't come before your commission, that might go before our zoning administrator. If they're small enough, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll have this, this level here of, of they have uh, over requirements. Five square feet, then. If they're under that, not, nothing. Is that right? Well, no, I'm saying over 5,000 square feet, and I guess there could be some projects that are less than an acre that would not need a uh, condition use permit, but they would require another kind of permit, or maybe a condition of zoning. Would they have to go through the checklist if they're over 5,000 square feet? I don't believe so. Uh, Mary, do you want to speak to that? <laughs> Hi, Mary Keller, Placer County. Um, so. They would only have to go through that process if they're creating new impervious surfaces. So like if there's a project that's over an acre, under an acre, but you know, they're just grading and they're putting a smaller house in or something, they wouldn't have to. Go. So it'd be impervious surfaces over 5,000 square feet? Over 5,000 square feet. Okay, and so the type of permit doesn't matter, it's just that that, you know, right. that one criteria. Right. Okay. Yes. Oh, well. Correct. If, yeah. So if, if somebody came in and they were building a house and they got the permit, there's conditions that they have to meet for the impervious. Right. They'd probably so, be under that so site design measure. That. I mean, yeah. it doesn't specific that they have to go out and get a special stormwater permit. They just have to build it to the standards the states require. Right. And in our design manual, there will be, you said yeah. anything over 5,000 would have a checklist. There's actually a little checklist for those that are just a smaller. Um, and now the design manual is set up. As you go through, the first section explains it all. The second section is for the site design measures. And so if it's a smaller project, they would stop there. And then the next section is for the 5,000 and up. And the next section for the over acre. So the more they have, the more they go through the manual and do the little checklist. But um, the manual will help assist the smaller projects in seeing, okay, this is what I have to do. There's a little calculator in there that's already built in. They just plug in their numbers, and it comes up with what they have to do. Does this, does this apply also, this manual, to city-type projects within city? Uh, every city, um, Lincoln, uh, Loomis, Auburn, and Roseville. That's what I meant. The, yeah. the ones in the area all have to comply with this manual. Um, yes, we're working on it together so we could be okay. jointly doing it with the exception of the city of Rockland who chose not to participate. Uh, Mary, is there currently a calculation that we use for impervious sort of offsets or mitigation using you know, how much is being covered and what has to be uh, addressed as far as, again, a mitigation? Is there something currently? Currently, you have um, Placer County stormwater, uh, uh, management, uh, stormwater Management Manual that the Flood Control District uses so that they don't increase flows. So there's not a, you know, if you have so many square feet of impervious, you have to do, it put, tells you what you have to do currently. Do you have that? Or just the stormwater management manual? It's not. So uh, currently it's not based on a certain amount of impervious coverage, but there is the requirement in the stormwater management manual that um, depending on your location, 
you can't negatively affect a downstream property owner. So if you're putting in impervious surface and now your runoff is going to create more flow off-site, that peak flow can't increase from the pre-project to the post-project condition. So is there going to be a calculation going forward? Uh, because you're talking about trying to mitigate these on-site. Mm -hmm. And so there must be some kind of calculation that's taken into consideration of what the volume, potential volume on an impervial, uh, yes. uh, how much that's going to create. Yes, that's built and into how, how do you address the issue of like we've had a couple of major storms this year, one in December and one just not that long ago, where extremely heavy uh, rain events and you're going to, you could, uh, you could go over the potential of uh, what you can contain on site. Right. And what happens if, and during those events, you go off-site? Is there some right. sort of imp, uh, penalty for that? Um, not a penalty per se, but there's there's two things we're doing here. There's this is uh, the state permit, really kind of water quality based, and the requirements are require are, are related to, in this case, say it's a more than one acre project, the hydro modification that's going to um, handle that two-year, 24-hour storm, there's going to be a calculation for them to detain or retain um, that event. But then there's also, through design, we'll look at it through improvement plans, the stormwater management manual, and we'll be looking at the 10-year and the 100-year event as well, as we always have, and we'll make sure that there's no downstream impact to property owners as a result of the project development based or with those design storms. Okay, well, is there a calculation or is there anticipation of a calculation that says so much water can come in a period of time, let's say an inch over a couple of hours, and that there has to be retention based on that kind of a volume so that you're, you can anticipate that. I mean, you can talk about 100-year events, but that may be over a matter of days, but if you have a concentrated a rain event in uh, in just a couple of hours, you could you could go exhaust your ability to maintain it on site. So I, mm -hmm. I'm just I'm just trying to figure out how much of a calculation are you going to use? I mean, are you going to you're going to ask for 150 percent of of what you expect or 200 percent of what you expect? And what volumes do you anticipate? Is so so the permit did specify sizing of the the on site EMPs either flow-based or volume-based. And that is is specified as the 85th percentile storm event, two-year? Two-year, 24-hour, 85th percentile storm event. So our consultants are helping pull all that data together for local uh, rain gauges, rain stations, um, and coming up with the, the depth needed um, to treat, and then that that's the max that has to be treated as a result of this permit. So beyond that, there'll be overflow provisions, as we do with all development projects. You know, if, if you've exceeded the on-site detention, we have a, we should have them show a spillway. Where's it going to go after you exceed this, you know, if the event is bigger than the design event? and make sure that there's no impact to downstream properties as a result of that overflow. I guess what I was getting at is how much can a developer expect that they're going to have to try to accommodate on site 
I mean, what to what extreme? What I mean, to how far of an event are you anticipating? It's that two-year, twenty-four-hour, eighty-fifth percentile. That's that's what they have to anticipate that they need to capture on site. Beyond that, it would flow off site. Are there any other questions? Can I answer the one question? Oh, sure. <laughs> um, you had a question about um, the site design, and if you have an existing site, how much of that would be? Um, we deal with this permit, the language in the permit, we have to meet what it states in there. And in that particular area, it didn't specifically state whether you had to treat all of it or part of it. So in our design manual, we have determined that we are going to treat all the new, we're not going to try and treat the existing, existing if it wasn't re redeveloped. Okay. Any other questions? Any other questions? Thank you. I gave the public a chance to ask questions. Any other questions? Questions on process? Uh, Engineering questions I can't yeah, answer. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I, I guess I, if, yep. if that's it, I could maybe open it up if anybody in the uh, audience has any questions on this. Okay. If there's any interest. Okay, seeing that, I guess <laughs> pretty well answered is everything. And, and since it's a non-action item, just an update. Thank you. <laughs> we'll be back. Thank you. Yeah. Chairman Denio. During this hearing, I was approached by an individual in the audience who uh, had something to say during public comment. I think there might have been a couple people on items that are not on the agenda. Your commission already closed the public comment period, but if you wish to entertain opening it, you would have to vote on that to open it and consider those comments. And then the question, if you did that, you know, would you like to do that now or after the next item? Um, if you were to entertain them at all. Oh. Okay, since, since we are over time on this, we'll go ahead and do our next item and then ask the commission if they, they want to vote on opening up and if having comments afterwards. That sounds good. Okay, so with that, we'll go to our next item. Let George get us started on the winery ordinance. Whenever you're ready. You, uh, we're, we're set. You're ready? We're just waiting for you, George. <laughs> Gentlemen, George Rosanesco, Plaster County Planning. Um, happy to be before you today for the fifth workshop on the winery ordinance. Um, just by way of background, what has happened since our last workshop, which was the fourth workshop on November 13th, 2014, where you um, had uh, approved or given consent to a draft ordinance and concept to go forward to the max. Um, and we were going to do that, and we were going to come back about this time with what the max had, had said about that ordinance and concept. After that workshop, um, staff was approached by the Vintners Association who said, we applaud you reopening the winery ordinance, but what you have and you're getting ready to take to the max simply won't work for us. And we're like, 
know, we've been through a fourth workshop. We have a draft ordinance that's going to go to the max. You really have two options at this point. One, you can come to the max and plead your case, and when we go back to the planning commission, you know, we can have a discussion about the items that you want. The second option that we gave to them is, if you'd like, you could go under public comment at the next planning commission, address the commission, and ask them if they'd like to have a fifth workshop. They did that. At the January 22nd meeting, um, they came under public comment. Um, they essentially said, you know, we're not happy with the whiny ordinance and the direction it's going in. Um, we would like to have a fifth workshop and we would like to present our ideas to you and see if uh, we can convince you to put those in the ordinance. So that's where we're at. So what I'm planning on doing today is I'm planning on just presenting. They have seven, seven things that they would like to have addressed as part of this workshop and ask for them to be included in the winery ordinance. So with that, I'm, I'm just going to go with those seven things. Feel free to stop me at any time. As you know, this is a workshop. Um, so the seven things that they would like um, to address, this is a broad overview. Definition of event, development and operational standards for um, promotional events, tasting facilities, noise regulations, temporary outdoor events, and zone districts. So the one I'm going to start with is probably the most controversial <coughs> and the biggest one that you will have to deal with today. And that has to do with event versus promotional activity. Right now we have a definition of event that basically says it means a gathering of more than 20 people for one to 12 hours where the purpose is for fundraising, profit, or political, public, social, educational nature. So basically what it says is anytime 20 people, um, more than 20 people get together at uh, a winery for any specific reason, that that becomes an event. Um, anything less than 20 is just uh, an activity that happens and you can do as many of those as you would like. Um, what the Vintners Association would like to propose is that it not be called an event, but they have promotional activities. So you have a promotional activity um, defined, and I don't want to read these into the record. They're in the staff report. Um, so I'm just going to paraphrase them. But basically means an activity sponsored by the property or winery owner, an association, agricultural or winery owners, or similar organizations formed to assist industry in the area. Basically what it means is any activity that takes place on a winery is a promotional activity. Weddings, fundraisers, wine clubs, uh, winemaker dinners, all promotional activities. Then they have subcategories under promotional activities, which is a, a routine activity, which is a promotional activity that is attended by less than 75 people at one time on uh, a winery or its tasting room located on less than 10 acres or a promotional activity that is attended by 100 people, uh, excuse me, less than 100 people on a winery located on 10 acres or more. And then a special activity is a promotional activity that is attended by 100 um, or less people at one time at a winery and tasting room located on less than 10 acres or a promotional activity that is attended by 200 or less people at one time at a winery and or tasting room located on 10 acres or more. And what they have proposed, and this is the important part about the promotional activities, is that wineries, with regard to a routine activity, that they, they have unlimited ability to have routine activities throughout the year, as many as they'd like, as long as they fit within that, that definition of a routine activity. They would like to have 12 
special activities um, that fit in the special activity definition. And then if they'd like to have more um, special activities, that they would need to get an administrative review permit for each one of those activities. So that's probably the biggest one. The second one. Um, George? Yes. <clears throat> Maybe as you go through these, like one, if you go back to that one. Yes. It, it has, you know, the 20 people for one to 12 hours and stuff. Yeah. On your comment that they could have unlimited routine activities and right. stuff. Just for the audience and for our edification, maybe just say, as it's written now or proposed now and it's went through the max, that they can only have X number or they can have unlimited if it's only the 20 people or whatever. Okay, as the ordinance is written, the one that was approved in concept, what it would mean is you had an event and if you had um, anything less than 20 people, on a winery that wasn't considered an event. So you could do that in unlimited amounts. If you had more than 20 people, it became an event and was subject to the ordinance that you either needed an administrative review permit or you needed to get a temporary outdoor permit. So that's really the difference. Now what they're asking for is under routine activity is those numbers, 75 people at one time on less than 10 acres or 100 people on a, on a winery that's 10 acres or more, that would be an unlimited um, thing. That would, they would have the ability to do that throughout the year as often as they chose to. Then the next rung up would be a special activity, which is 100 or less people at one time on a winery that's 10 acres or less, or a promotional activity that is attended by 200 or less people on a winery that is 10 acres or more, and they'd be able to do that 12 times a year. Now that's a lot to take in at one time and we can revisit this, um, but essentially what it is is um, the Vintners Association's proposal allows a lot more activity and a lot more people without a lot of discretion on the county's part. Okay, but on the county's part, if they came in, you know, just, just doing the routine stuff under the way it's written now, they could still have any number of events, but they just have to let the county know and get the... You mean under the way the ordinance is written yeah. now? No. They'd be allowed to get an ARP for six events, and then, and we're coming up to this, but if the temporary outdoor event permit that we're going side by side with this was changed, they'd have the ability to get temporary outdoor event permits for six one-day events. So for a total of um, less than 20 unlimited and then 12 events, through the ARP and the temporary outdoor event permit process. So it's a substantial change, um, but they think this is what's appropriate for, for wineries at this point in time. Okay. Okay? And then as we move on, this is just um, a, a more in the PowerPoint, I'm gonna keep moving because this is just more about routine and special activities. The next one's about tasting facilities. This is substantially the same in the ordinance now. The ordinance as it's written now has um, the tasting room being allowed to serve by the bottle, by the glass for on-site consumption. The Vintners Association just asked us to um, make the language a little bit more specific with regard to the law. We say by state law, 
they wanted us to put in California uh, Business and Professions Code. So it's really not much of a change. It's more of a, um, semantics and more detail oriented. <coughs> Excuse me. The next one, <coughs> we have specific noise requirements that um, were, uh, <coughs> excuse me again, duplicated from the uh, event ordinance that was just adopted for agricultural event centers. They believe it's too restrictive. 20 decibels, as we've discussed a lot as part of the event center ordinance, is very restrictive. It essentially puts people inside a building that doesn't let any sound out after a certain amount of time. So it's basically requires silence. Um, the Vintners Association would simply like the winery ordinance to reflect that anywhere that there is uh, a reference to a noise regulation, that it's simply be in compliance with our existing noise ordinance that we have on the books right now today, which is section 9.36, which would allow during the day essentially 70 decibels at the receiving property line for outdoor sound. Say, so, so George, just uh, for clarification. Yes. The, uh, the event uh, ordinance that just uh, went through is more restrictive than this? It's more, it, it's, it's the event ordinance that just went through is essentially the same as what's proposed in the winery ordinance right now. So it is more restrictive than our existing noise ordinance that we have throughout the county. But what's being proposed here today is the same or less restrictive? Than the event center. The it's, event it, center. it would be less restrictive than what is in the event center. And they're asking that it just be um, consistent with our existing noise ordinance. Mm -hmm. So less restrictive. Is, you said during the day, 75. 70. Or 70. What, is there a time that that changes? Um, Yes, in the evening, and I don't have the exact time it changes, but it goes down to um, 65, and it can be slightly higher for a one-time spike, you know, like a gunshot or something. It might spike up higher. <laughs> Hopefully no gunfire associated with these. Bad example. But, but so it, it has some provisions for a quick, you know, like a smack, and then there's uh, 65 and 70 are... are just like a consistent sound. It would be like outdoor amplified music or something of that nature. So the next one would be, um, this is what I alluded to earlier. This is um, part of the vintners that's come up during conversations by the vintners when we're talking about events. It's also come up as part of staff. The ag commissioners also talked to us about it. So I put it in. It's not necessarily just a vintners thing. Um, we are proposing as part of this uh, zoning text amendment that we have a second zoning text amendment. Right now, our temporary outdoor event ordinance allows two temporary outdoor events, three days each. What we're proposing is that it be um, just six days worth of temporary outdoor events. Same amount of days, it's just that it would give them more flexibility that you could have six one-day events, three two-day two events, you know, one three-day, and then one three one-days. So it just gives more flexibility. So with with all these, with the, the temporary outdoor events and the mm -hmm. other events, total, 
How many days can neighbors expect activity? Um, based on the ordinance as it is written now? No. What, they're asking. what we're proposing. What, you're, what, what they're asking for. What the Vintners are proposing? The Vintners are proposing that in some instances, 75 or 100 people a day for an activity is unlimited. So 365 days a year. Probably not, that's not realistic, but that's what could happen. And then on the larger size events, and I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but up to um, 100 and the 200, the special activity, that could be 12 a year. And then beyond 12, you'd need to get an administrative review permit for each uh, event that's of the special activity size. If you want, when, we, when I run through these, if we can go back. And there's no limit on those they could apply for either? The administrative review permit? Special events. They're not proposing that there be a limit on those. <clears throat> these are essentially the zone district charts. Um, I wanted to put these in, not necessarily at the Vintner's behest, but they're very confusing. We have basically three little charts in the existing ordinance, um, and they use the greater than, less than signs. Mm -hmm. I'm a planner, and I'm not a math whiz, and those things always confuse me. So <laughs> I've, I've reorganized um, the charts, essentially says the same thing to something that's much more usable in the ordinance, easier to read. I have taken out greater than, less than signs. Is everyone? I don't know about you. I personally get confused. Is that greater or less than, you know, the little Pac-Man sign, you know, that sort of thing. So this is just um, a redo of the chart. Um, I also at the bottom, um, if you so choose, what would happen is there would be a routine and special activity section. Um, but that's essentially it. Those are the changes. Those, those are the seven changes. Um, staff does not have a recommendation about these. The Vintners Association said that they would be here and that they would talk to you about why these things are necessary. Um, but I am here to answer any questions and clarify anything with regard to the existing ordinance or those proposals and how they would fit into the ordinance. Yeah, I, sh I should know the answer to this one, but on the condition of uh, zoning, there's a C with an underline and there's a C without an underline. Right. What's the difference? Um, those those um, have been um, added. Underlined has been added, and that's existing. Okay. So underlying things are new. Um, like in routine activity and special activity, you'll see everything is added. So everything's underlined. And then in a few other places, like the cleanup, um, we've allowed, for instance, in resort, that was probably the most substantial change. Um, it was our, our previous ordinance was silent on that. However, there is a planning director's interpretation that said wineries could go in resorts. So I've changed the um, charts to reflect that wineries can go in resorts based on the planning director's interpretation. We don't have very much resort property. We have essentially, I think I had our GIS people pull it. I think we have six or eight pieces in the entire county. I don't suspect that it will come up in my tenure here again, we have one now. I don't think it will come up again. But I wanted the charts to reflect that. Anything else, gentlemen? Nope. Guess that's it. Thank you, George. Thank you. Let me um, let me flip back to. Oops. 
went the wrong way. I apologize. I'm going to put it back to um, the beginning. I'll leave it right here. I guess I might have one more question, just yeah. for clarification, too, just to be sure on it. And uh, let me see if I can find it here. Now, now we, we're eliminating the word event mm -hmm. and uh, talking about promotional activities. Correct. And so both the routine and special activity are promotional activities. They're a subset, yes. It, it, it defines what promotional activities are, and frankly, they're just about everything that takes place on a winery, from weddings to fundraisers to winemaker dinners. So that's a promotional activity. The Vintners Association's um, position is, is that anytime anyone comes onto our winery and they use our tasting room, and they have events, that's promoting our product. So they call those promotional activities. And then they have two subsets, routine and special under that, that further clarify numbers and size of wineries and amount of events that they could have with regard to that. Yeah, so the main difference between uh, uh, routine and special is just the number of people? Number of, t number of people and number of uh, events. Routine is unlimited, special, is 12 per year, and then beyond 12, you need an administrative review permit. Okay. Okay, thank you. Yep. I'll be right over there if you need me. Okay. Thank you, George. Okay, if we have the representative from the Vintners Association like to come up and speak on this. Good morning, gentlemen. Um, my name is Phil Maddox. I'm the owner of Lone Buffalo Vineyards. And I'm, I'm going to speak to some of the kind of conceptual. Uh, Did you have a question? I, yeah, maybe before I get started, just for my benefit, you, you sort of came up after all this had gone through the max. We'd had a lot of hearings and everything. And I know I've seen a lot of the winery representatives here and owners and stuff in front of us, but at the max and stuff, I'm assuming that you have been in this process since it started? Correct. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. I just want to know how it came up to this point versus it sounds like you were in the process in the beginning, you know, trying to formulate this, you know, knowing what the process was. Well, maybe I can explain a couple of things that well, might, you know, might answer, say, you know, yeah, I mean, might answer your best. questions about that. This, as you all know, this process has been going on for some time. Um, the original winery ordinance was enacted, I think it's eight years ago now. Um, and there's been a, a process going along with regard to modifying the winery ordinance, which essentially was initiated by the county planning department. The county came to us and asked, you know, uh, is it working? And we basically said no, that's why nobody's complying with it. Uh, and what changes would you like to see? And the pro that's the way the process started. And it was going along for some period of time, really up until the last November hearing before you, when some version of our 
recommendations was being included in the draft ordinance. And at that time, as I understand it, I was not at that meeting. I wasn't able to be there. Um, as a result, pretty much of the uh, event center ordinance that had been going sort of in tandem but not exactly at the same time, the planning commissioners expressed some questions about what's the difference between a community center and a winery or an event center and a winery. Uh, and there were some substantial changes made in the direction of the whole process. And we felt that that was pretty much unwarranted because things had been proceeding along on one plane and all of a sudden we were in a total different one. At that point is when we said, well, look, we're going to have to revisit this thing and look at it again. And so that's what gets us to being here today. Um, what, what I would really like to, to address and specifically is try to answer your question as to what is the difference between a winery and an event center. Because I think that's what's gotten this process from our standpoint pretty much off track. Uh, there's a fundamental difference between wineries, even wineries that want to be event centers, which is not all of us, and event centers. And I can't stress this difference enough because I think it's core to this whole confusion between the event centers and wineries. Wineries are an agricultural industry. Our primary product is an agricultural product. We grow grapes to make wine. That's an agricultural activity. It's the type of activity that is specifically mandated in the Placer County general plan that planning and our ordinances and everything else should encourage the preservation of agriculture in Placer County. Event centers, on the other hand, and I'm not making a judgment about whether one is better than the other, but event centers are fundamentally different. Their business is driven by events. They, as the county approved the event center ordinance, event centers in the agricultural zone are required to have an agricultural component. But it's just that. It's a component. It's a part, and the only requirement is that it be somewhat economically viable. Wineries, on the other hand, the events are the small part. The events are the small component of our primary activity. And at the state of the winery industry in Placer County, if we're not able to have those activities, uh, we're simply not going to survive. And that, in the long run, is going to be very much the economic uh, opposite of benefit, where it escapes me right now, to the county. I think it's pretty well known that the winery industry is one of the primary economic benefits to the economy of the state of California. And as you look around the rest of the state and you start to divide it up into subgroups, it's a major economic benefit to those counties that have established wine industries. 
We spent a fair amount of time working with the planning department to try to come up with recommendations where we could balance everyone's interests. We believe we've done that in this situation and with these recommendations. Uh, <clears throat> quite frankly, I think that, that we all know that, that uh, Placer County is becoming more urbanized, uh, less rural. Uh, yet we still have a general plan that does mandate the encouragement of agriculture. I think you're going to find that probably of all the agricultural activities in the county, wineries are, are probably the last best hope for preserving that agricultural mandate. Uh, they're simply... If we're not allowed to do the minimal activities that we've proposed, we're not going to make it. I would also uh, just want to bring up one other act, uh, comment about the, the draft ordinance and the, um, the draft ordinance as it now stands. Um, one thing that gets very confusing about this whole situation, and I could note it in some of your questions, is what's now allowed and what's proposed to be changed. I would remind all of you that our recommendations are a change to the existing ordinance. They are certainly a change to the last version of the draft ordinance, but that draft ordinance was never adopted by anyone. And there are some provisions in there that appear to me that are maybe slipping by the radar here uh, that I just want to mention at this time because I think they need some further dialogue, certainly between the Vintners Association and the planning department. And I'm re uh, referring specifically to the provisions of access to wineries that are on private roads. Uh, the, wine the Vintners Association has never asked for any changes to the existing language in the ordinance and that existing language has been working well for eight years. Um, in, when we previously went through this with the, with the first ordinance and for every discussion I've ever had with anyone from planning up until the, uh, last, uh, the last version that, that, that proposed some substantial changes, um, the county has always taken the position they did not have jurisdiction to regulate uh, activities on private roads. And I think that w what I would ask at this time, I would certainly be interested in talking to county council about that as to whether the language that's in the current draft is really you know, something that the county is capable of doing. I'm not right now bringing that up uh, mainly because it's kind of escaped everyone's attention here. We've been concentrating on activities or events. And I, I just want to bring out that I think this thing needs some more look, and it's certainly our intention to pursue that further with the county. Um, I would just also sort of preemptively, I guess, since I'm the first one up here speaking, like to point out to the members of the Planning Commission, I'm sure you're going to hear the regular cast of characters that we hear at every one of these events. Um, they're going to talk about bars and restaurants in rural areas. They're going to talk about DUIs. They're going to talk about all of those kind of things. 
This is the same chorus we've been hearing from these people for the last, before the Wyoming Ordinance was enacted, 10, 12 years ago. There's a lot of rhetoric there. There's not one shred of evidence. Certainly, what we're proposing right here is not going to allow a bar. It's not going to allow a restaurant. It's very clear that even if a winery wants to become an event center, and of course a winery could, they could apply for a MUP under the event center ordinance, they're still not going to be a restaurant, and they're not a bar. Th those things are simply scare tactics that are used by these people to get people kind of ups upset and concerned about what's going on. What we propose here is not, you know, any kind of radical change from what's actually happening out there right now. It's pretty much we want the winery ordinance brought into line with what is happening and what is not causing any complaints. That, thank you. Thank See, you. I have a question. Yeah. Phil. Phil? Yeah, you're the initial spokesman, so <laughs> I have a question for you. But sure. There will be more discussion on the topics, sure. I'm sure. But the... Uh, Distinction between event centers and the winery ordinance, that's pretty much what you were addressing. Correct. And uh, I guess one thing I'm wondering uh, about here is, of course, we just went through the event center, and now that's uh, in the code. And so, you know, with, uh, with the winery, you know, I've always perceived uh, wineries as being farm sales. You know, if you have a fruit stand and you're selling mandarins or if you make wine, you're selling wine. So you're really talking about farm sales. I get that concept. Event centers, just by the word event, implies events, which is a distinction that's pretty clear. But the ordinance that was proclamated here in the county uh, requires in the agricultural zone fairly, in fact, quite extensive agricultural activity. And it requires it to be subservient to the event activity. And so I guess what I'm wondering, you mentioned that, uh, you know, wineries that want to grow and become big can become event centers, but I guess what I'm seeing here are uh, some definitions in what's being proposed in the winery ordinance that are maybe in many cases uh, much less restrictive than what the current event center would require in terms of condition of uh, zoning versus uh, condition use permit or minor use permit, things like that, and uh, noises and the amount of events and those types of things. So I guess, you know, it kind of raises the question, at what point would a winery uh, want to become a, go through, the, go through all the process to become an event center when Basically, uh, they may have, or what's, what's the distinction there? What, what, what would make them want to become an event center if somebody had a winery? Well, Rich, I can't speak for all of the wineries. Um, I, I think you have to go back to the fact that, and I will agree with you that what we're, what we're proposing here is less restrictive than what is being, has already been imposed on event centers. 
But the reason for that, and that's what I want to stress here, is that, that this is an agricultural activity. Even an event center, even in the ag zone, where it has some viable ag thing, that's not their primary business. And without the ability to um, engage in this minimal activity, and it is minimal, I think that uh, I would at least commend you. I've seen you out <laughs> in some of the tasting rooms. But I think if I would encourage all of the commissioners to get out on the wine trail, visit us on a weekend, and see what's going on. These things that everybody is talking about are simply not happening. So, it, and it's certainly going to be a long time before the wine industry in Placer County is going to approach the level where some larger amount of regulation is necessary. From my standpoint, I have no event, uh, desire to be an event center, and I think that's true of most of the wineries. There are two wineries, which I think you're aware. One of them already has a permit as an event center. I think his motivation was really he didn't know where the, the winery ordinance wasn't done and he wasn't willing to wait. Um, I... After this is done, other than you know getting into a situation where you want to start holding concerts and be you know something other than a winery, I don't see any reason to become an event center. Uh, and first of all, the you've already put the conditions in place if you have that desire to. Uh, ensure that you're not going to have the problems that the public is, or you're not going to impact the public more than is, is, is necessary. I mean, as we all know, none of this stuff can happen with no impact on anybody. And what we're all looking for is a compromise somewhere in the middle. We have worked extensively with the planning department, taken a lot of input from the planning department, and we feel we have reached what is something that will work for everyone. George, I could. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> talking about the, the restaurant issue here and looking at the food regulation portion, um, it says wineries may have a commercial kitchen, but it shall only be used in conjunction with on-site events. Correct. Well, now if the proposal is that we can have unlimited events as long as they're below 75 people, if I want to have a breakfast event, a lunch event, and a dinner event, how am I not a restaurant? Is that, is that rhetorical, or do you want to <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, obviously, because right after it says restaurants are not allowed. So how do we draw this distinction and, and offer some, um, some certainties to, to neighbors who are concerned and to um, winery operators who say they don't want to be in the restaurant business? Well, what I, what I would tell you <coughs> is if you, if you did choose to follow the Vintners Association's recommendations, that um, some, some other guidelines might need to be fine-tuned. If you don't want them to be a, a restaurant, we would, have to, we would have to also go and look at the food regulation section and make sure that, you know, you're not a restaurant because you could have 75 people there and you could have a, 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 Buffet. Um, a kitchen and you could serve food. But walks like a duck. 
That would be something that we would need to look at. Okay. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Hi, my name is Maura Rowe. I'm the Executive Director for the Placer County Visitors Bureau. And I would like to speak, uh, I think it's a nice segue. Um, there was a point made that the wineries are, are promoting their product. I would like to speak a little bit on behalf of some of the events that um, the Visitors Bureau would like to have at the wineries would not necessarily be um, promoting the individual wineries, but Placer County as a whole. And because I'm known to rant, I kind of stuck to my three minutes. So I'm just going to be really quick and read kind of the perspective from the Visitors Bureau. Um, in recent years, travel and tourism has proven to be one of America's most productive engines for economic growth and job creation. At a time when leaders at all levels are searching for solutions to sluggish growth, unemployment, globalization, and continued economic challenges, tourism is proving to be a valuable investment. Tourism and travel is a top California industry, no less important than high-tech, agriculture, or Hollywood. The travel and tourism industry generates more than $100 billion per year in revenue for California businesses. California has the largest tourism market than any other state. In 2012, 15.7 million visitors, uh, people, visited Sacramento, which generated $2.7 billion in travel-related spending. Leisure and hospitality is the number three employer in Placer County, with 18,700 jobs, a 21.4% growth over the last 10 years. Leisure and hospitality is projected to grow 24.4% by 2017 and 29% by 2022. In October of 2013, Placer County Visitors Bureau launched Destination Placer, an assessment of our area's assets and resources. We determined that one of our premier marketable assets lies in our abundance of agricultural and culinary resources. We are not alone. I arrived home last night from Visit California's Outlook Forum, California's premier marketing conference, where I learned of incredible partnership opportunities with both Visit California and Brand USA. There are boundless opportunities to elevate the Placer brand and to have significant relevance in today's tourism marketplace. Our wineries and other agricultural resources play a vital role in these strategies. When it comes to culinary experiences from farm tours, farmers markets, farm to fork dinners, food and wine festivals, and wine tasting tours, California is always top of mind for all consumers. The fastest growing travel sector is culinary connoisseurs, and each year nearly, nearly 20 million tourists visit wine regions throughout the state of California. Many of those travelers are international visitors who want to explore firsthand California's diverse areas while enjoying the wines, cuisine, and cultural offerings of California's signature industry. A, a quote from Visit California's Gold Country promotional materials, the Gold Country region is emerging as a, discover, as a new discovery for wine lovers, and visitors are striking it rich with liquid gold. Considered one of the oldest wine-producing areas in California, with a renaissance in the growth of premium vineyards and wineries, they are producing countless varieties of celebrated wines. Today, these small family-run wineries are becoming fast favorites among wine lovers and competition judges alike. 
This is a time to be fearless and innovative, to work together to find solutions so that Placer County can position itself in the front of these trends. Making changes to the ordinance will provide our wineries and tourism partners more flexibility to develop special events that will not only attract more visitors, but to help position Placer County as a premier California destination. For us, um, one of our main, uh, we bring fam tours, familiarization tours um, of large groups into Placer County. Um, and one of the special things that we can offer is visits out to the wine, the wineries. Um, so I would like to see some flexibility so that we can bring European visitors, journalists, um, and others to enjoy our wine regions. Um, I'm a longtime resident. I've been living here since 1972. Um, and, you know, I, I hear the noise thing and... Um, I, I haven't experienced it. You know, I, my parents live out in rural Lincoln, and I, I don't see, you know, we, we have cycling. And, and you'd hear a lot of people say that cyclists, there's too many cyclists on our roads right now. Um, these are all positive benefits. You're out. Um, I did the San Francisco Travel and Adventure Show recently, the L.A. Travel and Adventure Show. And, again, Outlook Forum. You have European um, travel operators who are interested in something different than Napa and Sonoma, and we're being looked at. So I would just like to take the opportunity to ask that you be flexible and to help um, the tourism industry out, because I think Placer County is um, in a great position to benefit from it. Okay, one, one quick question. You sure. You these, bring these large gr groups in, mm -hmm. exactly, is it like one bus that's driving around to each of the Yes, so a chartered bus, correct. Okay. And so... People. We, we ha well, it all varies. So in um, maximum on a bus, I can't say a maximum because we're just developing products for tourism now. So we have in May we have 25 uh, CWC, uh, which is the California Welcome Center managers coming in with Visit California. Um, they'll not only be going to the wineries, but they'll be going out to Twin Peaks and also visiting some of our other hundred-year-old farms. Okay, and then how long at each stop do you usually? An hour, a couple of hours. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Is it public comment? Is it public comment? Yeah. Oh, you didn't open it up. Oh, yeah. Good morning, uh, Mr. Chairman, members of the Planning Commission. I'm Kevin Hanley. I'm CEO of the Auburn Chamber of Commerce, and we represent over 500 small businesses in the greater Auburn area. The uh, Board of Directors took a position to support with the Vinters, their recommendation and their direction in reforming uh, the Placer County Winery Ordinance. We believe as we look at the proposal by the Vinters Association that it is consistent with the general plan. And the general plan wants to protect the long-term economic development of local agricultural lands. We believe that the Placer Wine Trail is one of the most valuable assets going from Auburn to Lincoln. It's a great tourist de destination. It's a great place for local residents. And we are concerned that because it takes 10 to 15 years to make a, a profit from owning a small winery, that if the county does not allow these small business owners to make a decent living, from working hard on their wineries that these beautiful working lands will disappear. They will change. And we believe it's 
obligation of the plan commission and the board to try to promote uh, this great use of local resources. Staff has already told you when comparing Placer County Ordinance to Amador, Sacramento, Santa Barbara, that the Placer County Ordinance is more restrictive than those counties. And even in the case of selling wine by the glass or bottle, you're more restrictive than state law. And so that should be changed. Amador has 4,000 acres in wine cultivation, vineyard cultivation, El Dorado, 2,500, Placer County, 211. This proposal by the Placer Vendors Association is modeled on the Sacramento Winery Ordinance. I don't see a lot of complaints from Amador, uh, El Dorado, Sacramento, that somehow these wineries are acting like restaurants and overwhelming their communities. These are small business owners. They have limited staff. It's usually the family. So they're not going to automatically turn into these huge restaurants that's not the case in other places in California. So we ask that you take that into consideration. Uh, as a city council member uh, serving on Auburn for 12 years, I often face similar situations uh, that this commission is facing and the Board of Supervisors about resources, limited resources to do code enforcement. And the way I see it is too much effort is made in trying to define what an event is too many uh, delays in administrative permits. Administrative sources, your, your county resources should be focused on enfor enforcing the noise ordinance. Decent things, reasonable provisions to protect the quality of life in the rural areas like the noise ordinance. That's where the focus should be. And I believe that if you enact the Venter's recommendations, and allow them to make a good living with their hard work, you're going to have fewer enforcement problems. They're going to comply with the law, and uh, they'll be able to make some money on those vineyards, and I think it will ease the enforcement problem. So I think this is good public policy, and I ask you to look at uh, and supporting these recommendations. Let's get it to the MAC. Let's get it to the process. We want... Placer County to be a premier destination uh, for the wine trail and our local agriculture. So uh, we ask you as the commissioners to support this positive recommendation. Thank you. Okay, at this point we're going to make sure everybody just stays on a maximum of a three-minute comments. Mr. Chairman, I'd like to make a make just a little comment right now. I've got a previous engagement. Uh, it's a doctor's appointment that has been set up for many weeks. I'm going to have to leave around 12 o'clock, so I just thought I'd mention that a little bit early before I walked out unannounced. <laughs> okay, thanks, Rich. Okay. Good morning, Chairman. Um, I'm disappointed to hear that the public comment now is limited to three minutes when Mr. Maddox had a full 10 minutes. I don't feel that's fair representation. Okay, well... And I'd like to point out to Mr. Maddox that I am not a cast of characters, that I have been in this since the beginning, and it does in fact exist. You guys have heard my complaints. So I was going to play clean today, but when Mr. Maddox referred to me as a cast of characters, i highly offended. I'm participating in the dem democratic process, and if he considers that a cast of characters, shame on him. For, for the record, could we just get your name? Lori Lewis. 
I live at Weiss and Gold Hill Road. I urge the commissioners to vote no on this seven item wish list. The public, the county, everyone has worked several years in good faith to come up with a compromise. Now that we're at the last where the paper is gonna hit the print, they wanna change it all. I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's dealing in good faith. Item number one, the issue of all the different type of events. Me as a neighbor to several wineries, how am I gonna know which event it's gonna be? Is it gonna be the promo promotional? Is it gonna be the special? Is, how am I to determine if, he, if the winery is violating 75 or 100 people because the county's not gonna keep track of this. They're not gonna be required to file permits for all these special things. To me, it's so gray that it will not be enforceable, which does not protect my property rights. And the noise does still exist. So that concerns my issue. It clouds the definition for the county enforcement, which through this whole ordeal, I have been guaranteed that there will be enforcement. Now the vintners are coming in and saying, well, we don't want to make it definitive because then you can't catch them. Item number five, if a winery is required to get a permit, that's a big word, not shall, not will, but is required, then we can do a noise ordinance. But if they're not required to pull any of those permits, I have no enforcement because there's no requirement. So minimal activity, no. I still have loud music on the winery. The door is rolled up. They've tried to be quieter, but I still hear it. I was down gardening at the end of the driveway. The traffic on the weekend is crazy. But my main concern is enforcement and the noise. I am so disappointed with the vintners coming now and saying, okay, we don't wanna play anymore, this is what we really want. I'm gonna stay within the time limit. Gentlemen, please stick with what the county, the taxpayers have paid the county to do. We owe it. You owe it to us as the people that participated in the local government. You owe it to George for all his time that he put into this. We're ready to put it on paper and now the vintners want, no, we don't wanna do that. That's not fair play. Thank you, gentlemen. Hi, I'm Mike Walker with Bear River Winery. Um, I wanna submit this into record. Uh, dear Honorable Commissioners, Please accept the attached petitions that were gathered by wineries on the Placer County Wine Trail during the Valentine's Day weekend. Our wine trail is visited by both local members of the community of Placer, as well as tourists from other locations throughout Northern California. Those signing the petition are supportive of our efforts to conduct business activities that will provide them with an opportunity to enjoy our local agricultural region, specifically activities at our local wineries. This represents a significant contribution to our local economy and reflects positively on the reputation Placer County enjoys regarding our ag agricultural heritage. We are not aware of any complaints filed or any incidents that occurred over that weekend. 
Once again, may we ask that you consider this response from over 200 of our visitors as evidence that we are sincerely pursuing our collective success in branding Placer County as a viable wine region in California. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, my name is Marshall Davis. I'm the owner and winemaker at Davis Dean Cellars in Lincoln. Uh, I'm actually in the city, so I don't fall. I'm not, you know, I don't fall amidst all of some of this, but I intend to grow. And in order to grow, we need to have some flexibility. If you inhibit growth, you inhibit the prosperity and the future prosperity of Placer County and its brand name. And that's about all I have to say. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Marilyn Jasper. I'm speaking on behalf of the Sierra Club and Public Interest Coalition. We are not opposed to wineries, but a high priority is to preserve residential, agricultural, and farm lands and protect them from incompatible uses, which will lead to their loss via de facto conversion to commercial uses. The Placer County Vintners Association changes are unreasonable on many levels, a few of which are described in, our, in both our February 23rd letter correspondence to you and the correspondence, the addendum that um, is being passed around right now. We urge you to not accept the changes and instead direct staff to stay on course with the circulation of the NAG deck Barring that option, the only fair and equitable or legitimate action is to in incorporate for review all the, the suggestions that were presented, that were created by public comment, by the MACs, and by the Ag Commission, especially the ones that had the common threads that were somewhat ignored in the final draft. We ask you to not put the burden of subsidizing wineries and breweries, they're going to be coming, on the backs of citizens living in res ag farm zones. I heard the mention, there's not one shred of evidence. Well, with track records of complaints of noncompliance, all topped with a grand jury report, I don't know what more evidence is, is needed. And any talk of assurances, don't worry, none of that will happen, via code enforcement has been, and as far as we know, is meaningless. The new spin word, activity, promotional, routine, special, temporary, an event is an event is an event. Another uh, word that's in the plan, temporary overflow parking. That's an awful lot like a buzzword for no control over the number of attendees. There has been an exaggerated threat made that if wineries are not economically viable, they will sell out and ag lands will be lost. However, with unlimited events, by right with no permit needed, 
There, number one, there's no guarantee that wineries or, and breweries will be profitable, but it's also most likely that neighbors will be the ones to sell out to get away from the entertainment nuisances. Ag land losses and, are determined by the votes of any three supervisors and a lack, a lack of code enforcement. Um, I will stop there, but there's a lot more. Thank you. Hi there. My name is Charlie Green, and I am the ex-owner of Green Family Winery, who you may or may not have heard of, just recently gone out of business. The bank owns it now, because I couldn't make enough money to pay the mortgage. One thing I think the county really ought to consider is a change in the enforcement of farm zoning. I can't go into an industrial zone and build a house because it's non-compatible. And I can't do it in a commercial zone. So I don't see why they let people who have no interest at all in farming to move into a farm zone and then complain about the farming. It's just not compatible, as they proved by some of the comments here today. They don't like to be around farming and the flies, noise, traffic, and whatnot. And uh, hmm, that's about all I got to say here. And adieu. You won't be seeing me anymore. Okay, if anybody else is going to speak, please sort of line up so we can move a little faster. Yeah, my name's Carol Rubin. You've heard from me before. I'm speaking on behalf of uh, Placer County Farmlands. I'm sorry, Safe Placer Farmlands, and I live in Newcastle. Um, I, I would also like to join uh, Ms. Lewis in, in objecting. Uh, I, I would hope you would indulge me and allow me to refute Mr. Maddox's comments uh, for at least the amount of time he was allotted. I will try to be much briefer, but I do want to address some of the points that he was trying to make. On behalf of the Vintners, this is a process that should be open to all the citizens of Placer County, and right now the Vintners are driving it. Um, my remarks and, and Save Placer Farmland's concerns are limited to residential and agricultural zoning. In fact, we encourage the development of these kinds of commercial entertainment facilities in commercial and industrial zoning, but the farm zoning is ground zero for the kind of battle that we're fighting here. Um, I, I want to remind everyone that the number one reason the, the previous changes were made uh, to the draft that was circulating before by planning was because you had requested to make this developing winery ordinance compatible with the provisions of the event center ordinance. And that's where the changes come from. It's not because us radical uh, cast of characters are driving them. Um, Mr. Maddox says that the difference between a winery and an event center is that the wineries are an agricultural industry and their number one product is the ag product, but that their proposed regulations don't reflect that. What they're proposing is that if I grow one acre of grapes on a five acre parcel, I can have unlimited events with up to 100 people and cover as many acres as I wish of the rest of that five acre parcel with temporary overflow parking. Once you grade and have cars parked on a piece of property, it's going to be awful hard to turn that back into farmland. This is not 
preserving agricultural lands, which we have heard the vintners make that argument over and over again. This is turning them into a commercial, non-agricultural activity. And I'll tell you, those subdivisions that they always threaten us with are looking mighty, mighty appealing compared to what these guys are, are uh, proposing. Their proposal doesn't indicate that grape growing is the primary activity on this property. Entertainment is the primary activity on, on these properties. Or they would propose regulations that would ensure more of the property was actually under cultivation. Um, the comparison has been made to other cities and counties in the uh, number of uh, acres that wineries have and their production. As Mr. Rososco has said, Placer County will never be Amador or Sonoma County because our parcels are too small and broken up. You're going to have to have considerable consolidation before um, we'll ever have that kind of production. And that's the real reason that, that people like Mr. Green are going out of business. It's, it's not because it's his neighbors are upset with him or anything. It's because the parcels you think are too small to make, to make this pay. Um, Mr. Maddox says that he believes the vintners have balanced everyone's interest. Please, let us speak to that. That's, that's really offensive for them to claim that they speak for us. Um, the private roads issue, he says, where did that come from? Again, that came to make the winery ordinance compatible with the event center ordinance. If, if you allow this, if you allow these guys to come back in and hijack this process, two years that we spent doing that event center ordinance, gone. Because as Mr. Johnson has said, who wants to be an event center when you can get it all and have a winery, you just have to cross out the event and call them activities. Um, not one shred of evidence that these are bars or restaurants. We've had the Gold Hill, uh, sorry, the Goat House Brewery situation. It, it's a bar. They, they're open, they serve beer to people and all day long. Uh, restaurant, uh, Wise Villa Winery. Oh, he calls it a bistro, but that's the same thing as, uh, you know, the duck test, if it walks like a duck, right? It's a restaurant. He, he has people serving it for dinner. Um, complaints, Ms. Jasper has alluded to the fact that there was even a uh, grand jury report saying, look, this is, the, the winery ordinance has to been, be fixed because it, the opportunity for complaints and, and uh, problems is too great. Um, Mr. Uh, Maddox says, well, maybe, maybe they want it, somebody would want to be in an event center so they could hold concerts. Under their proposal, they could hold concerts anyway because it would be considered a promotional activity merely because it's happening at a winery. So it's, it, it makes no sense. They get to do anything. They get to have drag races if they want because it's happening at a winery. So it's a, a winery promotional event. Carol, say, can you? Yeah, I'm, I'm wrapping up. One more point. Um, they say they're looking for compromise. That's words. What they have indicated was that the compromise that was going through wasn't, wasn't working for them. And so they've attempted to dial back the process to zero and throw out all the 14 months of work. And I ask you, this is the kind of thing that gives people a cynical attitude about special interest 
controlling and planning process in this county. And thank you very much for your indulgence. Okay, any, anyone else, please line up. And so we Morning, gentlemen. My name is Kevin Stevenson. I own Cask Wines. Uh, I also currently serve as the president of the Placer County Vintners Association. Just want to make a couple quick points, reiterate um, essentially and explain what is, George has already put in his discussion of the issues just so we kind of know exactly what we're asking for. Let me give you a couple examples. Everybody calls it a buzzword, routine activity is special activity. That's not a buzzword, that's what we do now. This is what is going on. A routine activity, if I get a phone call and somebody says, my grandpa's turning 75 next week and the family wants to get together and there's 30 of us, can we use your tasting room and your lovely patio and have a picnic for a couple hours? It's gonna be on a Tuesday, I know you're not open, can we do that? And maybe we'll give you a hundred bucks. And I'm going to say, okay, but you're going to give me a hundred bucks because I'm going to have to pay somebody to be there to monitor it. What you're really going to do is you're going to buy a minimum amount of wine because that's what I'm in the business of doing, selling wine. Without selling wine, I don't build my market. Nobody comes to a party, drinks my wine, buys bottles when they leave, potentially joins my wine club, amen, and then goes out and tells their friends and family and neighbor, hey, what a great winery. You guys should go visit that. These are promotional activities. You want to call them an event? Is that an event when Grandpa Joe turns 80 and his family has a birthday party and it's on my property when I'm not normally open for tasting? You can call it whatever you want, but I'm telling you, this goes on all day long, all week long. It's about, I'll tell you, 20 to 25% of my business. It has way less impact than when I'm open Friday, Saturday, Sunday for general tasting. Nobody ever knows it happens. Family shows up and they, I have ample parking. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. Happens all the time. Without that, I'm out of business in a couple of weeks. 25% of my business. I hope someday it's zero because I'd like to build my wine club and my normal tasting room business to the point where that can be the case. That is not the case. Number two, special activity. That's exactly what it is. It's that same kind of activity, only it's kind of special because I'm asking to have a few more people be allowed to come 12 times a year. I don't want to hold concerts. I can't have drag races. I want to be subjected to a noise ordinance. Those activities are things like I have several hundred wine club members. So over two days, maybe I'm going to hold an open house so they can come visit and pick up their wine club shipment. Now, I do that three times a year. Some wineries do it six. Some do it once a month. That's where that number 12 came in. It's not so we can have 12 weddings a month at 200 people. I, mean, I don't know why anybody in their right mind would go through that absolute hassle and frustration and, uh, and pain and agony of getting a winery license just to hold an ordinance, or, uh, just to hold events. It's insane. I'm going to make one other quick comment and then I'll shut up. The reason we came back to the Planning Commission to request that we have this last workshop was because what happened in the last draft of the winery ordinance took us so by surprise and we were shocked. Now I'll be the first to fall on my sword and say I wish I had been more involved in the MAC process. But in my defense, and I think I'll speak for just about everybody that owns a winery, when that went through, through the MAC process, 
I'm working 100 hours a week. This week I'll work 80 and I'll work seven days a week. This is my slow time of year. You want to have MAC meetings and have us attend them? I have no way to make those MAC meetings. And I also think that we felt like the process was going along pretty well. We had a pretty good ordinance shaping up. And all of a sudden, we sort of got blindsided by with what came out. And again, I'll follow my sword, but I guarantee you going forward, if this goes back out to the max, you will hear from us and you will have plenty of supporters and we'll stand up for what we think is um, uh, a perfectly reasonable request. And this will get tweaked, I know. But my understanding is, and I talked to county yesterday, zero complaints were filed against wineries in 2014. A handful have been filed in the past against wineries, not event centers, wineries. A handful have been uh, filed in the past primarily against one winery, and it's been noise-related. Evidently, that is continuing. I welcome a noise ordinance, and I welcome the added enforcement, which county evidently is going to have. Because as president of the association, it makes all of us look bad if one or two wineries um, are not in compliance. I welcome that because I want happy customers and I want happy neighbors. It's the last thing I, I want is an angry constituency surrounding my winery or tasting room. Thank you. Sorry I went over. I think I'm probably the last winery and I got to her afterwards or copies of my notes. I am going to go over but uh, Mount Vernon Winery and Pawsaw Winery have lent me their, yielded me their time. My name is Tina Wilkins. I'm the co-owner and managing partner of Vina Castellano Estate Vineyard and Winery in North Auburn, currently producing 2,000 cases of wine, and I custom crush to stay in business wine for two wineries in Napa and one winery in Nevada County. And my hope is someday that I use my facilities to only make and sell my own wine. My personal local vendor list includes 52 small businesses in the Sierra foothills. These are people I pay for service. Additionally, I'm a vendor for 25 restaurants and wholesale outlets from Tahoe to Roseville. Add to it the other 18 wineries vendor lists and you'll see that we are starting to make a real fiscal impact in our region. We offer real opportunity for business development for ancillary hospitality and farming businesses that are not yet here. Glass, cork, capsules, chemicals, gases, and many other things are not yet available to me here in Placer County. I have to go outside of the county to get those. Those are real avenues for business development here. Bed and breakfast, overnight accommodations as a whole are too limited. We have a lot of restaurants, but there's room for more. And there's room for growth in after-hour non-winery related entertainment as well. In other words, what happens in the farm zone does not need to and should not stay in the farm zone. We are nowhere near critical mass on our trail. If you allow us to thrive, so too will other businesses that support our needs and whose support we need. While our customer base has been slowly growing over the past decade, I've been open for 14 years, Mount Vernon for 15, even during the worst economy of my lifetime, it's grown. It's not enough to get me into a truly profitable place, nor is it enough to make this a business that I would turn over to my children. That is the reality that you need to be thinking about. I and 16 of the other wineries in this room cannot afford 20 employees and the other commodities 
it takes to be a standalone viable business. And I would argue that none of the other wineries in this county could exist or one or, if one or more of their family members were not the primary financial provider. That is not the reality of all regions. And contrary to popular belief, it does not have to be true here. We are and we can be a viable industry if you give us the tools. It's important to mention that recently many of our wineries, including myself, have been winning extraordinary awards. When you hear the term best of class from the San Francisco Chronicle or best of California from California State Fair, that means that those wines beat out every other wine contested from every other region, including Napa and Sonoma. Those are some of the most prestigious awards given nationally. We're winning them. What's important about that? Well, for me, the most important element of winning awards of that caliber is the knowledge that every drop of wine that I produce is pressed from fruit grown on my, that me and my family grew on our property in Placer County. In order for me to remain viable, the large majority of that wine needs to be sold direct to consumer from my property. Those awards are proof that we have what it takes to be a meaningful participant in the multi-billion dollar California wine industry. But you have to give us the tools we need to compete, not just in contests, but in regional sales as well. If you don't give us what we need, it will be indeed death with a butter knife. Charlie is proof of that. Ofer Winery is proof of that. Rancho Roble Winery that just sold is proof of that. If we don't have the right venues and tools to sell the wine, the production of those wines cannot be sustained. We need real and meaningful support from our local government, not lip service. If you don't allow people to come and experience our world-class wines on site and through unique promotions that are part and parcel to our industry statewide, this community's world-class wines will go away and we will once again dwindle to the classification to, in the eyes of our customers as hobbyists. It will be our death. Customers want to taste and enjoy wines in the manner in which they are accustomed in our neighboring and competing regions. In California, small wineries sell their product by selling their story first. They sell wine by selling the experience. They sell wine by selling the dream. Have you ever watched a California tourism commercial? They always feature, feature a winemaker in the field, not in a commercial-looking tasting room in town. They're selling a trip to the farm, an experience. The growth of the trail system and getting people out on the farm has lured people from outside the area in. If we don't give them an experience and entertain them, they won't come back. Every successful wine region in California started with one common thread, ease of regulation for farming and on-site sales. If Napa had to develop with the same regulations that Napa has today, Napa would be San Jose. That's not a threat, that's reality. If Amador and El Dorado had to start with the regulation that they have today, they would not be in existence either. Now is not the time to limit us. Now is the time to give us the tools to compete. I'm asking you today to not look at what we are, but look at what we could be. Look at what we could be if you support our needs. And conversely, look at what we could be if you don't. Look at the one-time farming communities of Lincoln and rural Roseville, or as I like to call it, Del Webb Farms. Trust me, I would much rather have the income from farming retired people than from farming grapes. 
but I would have lost a beautiful part of our culture, agriculture. I'm asking you to help grow our livelihoods, and we will share. In the last six years, I've poured from my tasting room, actually five years, it's a typo, I've poured from my tasting room or donated to charity nearly 18,000 bottles of wine. For me, that's a year's worth of production. Why? To attract people to our region, as well as to give back and create value beyond my own existence. There are 17 other wineries that do the same. I'm aware that there's a small and fearful minority who can't or won't tolerate the minor nuisance that comes with wineries, and yes, there will be noise. But what, they're, what are they giving you in exchange for cutting our business, killing our business? I ask that in seriousness. Their arguments are arguments of fear, not reality. The complaints to the county in 2014 were non-existent. Kevin gave you the rest of those things. You can check with George to make sure we're not lying. The answer is not to regulate working farmers out of using their property for farming to appease a problem that's negligible. The commercial farm zone is unapologetically supposed to be, by design, just that. Commercial, albeit rural. You know what it's not? It's not count country residential, or as we call it in Placer County, ag residential. That's where non-farming residents rightfully have precedent. If you support the idea of the true farm zone, including a true wine region, you need to codify what is already happening at the existing ranches and give us tools for growth. The large majority of the wineries have regular operating hours of about 10 hours per week. The rest of us, I think there's five of us, are open 20 hours or less. That is not enough time to sell enough wine to sustain any kind of real commercial infrastructure, particularly given our rural location. It sure is heck not enough time to secure the kinds of loans it takes to build some of the infrastructure that I know is desired by the county. In one department, they're telling us that we need to slow down or cut back, and in what we need, let's cut back what we need, and in other departments, we're getting the message that we need to grow up. Over the past 15 years, something awesome has surfaced, and we now have a viable year-round commodity that's easily sustainable in high demand and has a built-in audience. But the key to its success is not selling it wholesale. Ranches of that size available in Placer County do not produce the yields that it takes to make restaurants and retail outlets a main and viable sales avenue. Those outlets are good for brand identity or promotion, but not for earning a living. We started too late to grow into that branch of the industry, but it's not too late to help us save the agricultural industry in the county via small farms and agro-tourism. The body, the entity, the thing that will allow wineries to flourish in Placer County is agricultural tourism and a meaningful farm and winery trail system. We've begun that process. Ag tourism is defined by the state as a commercial enterprise at a working farm, ranch, or agricultural plant conducted for the enjoyment or education of visitors and that generates supplemental income for the owner. Agritourism can include farm stands, shops, you pick farms, okay. farm stays. Can you? I'm almost done. That because I'm almost done. Off. Okay. Uh, Winery weddings, orchard dinners, youth camps, barn dances, hunting or fishing, guest ranches, and much more. Tasting rooms are ancillary entities to boutique wineries. 
must ha and they have to have them to be sustainable. Ag tourism is part and parcel to most small wineries as well. All promotional activities are ag tourism. Wineries as well as other farming entities that wish to be viable, standalone, responsible, and multi-generational businesses need to have those opportunities. Wineries my size in Amador County get 52 events a year. We're foolishly asking for only 12. I'm willing to open up my books to you commissioners individually so you can see the real numbers. And uh, I think it's important for you to know that we've actually limited, many of us have limited our businesses for fear of growth. Thank you. Okay, is there anyone else that would like to speak? Seeing none, I'll cut it off. Thanks, Rich. Okay, George. So, gentlemen, let me get to the next steps. Take me a second. Okay. So, what uh, staff is hoping today is we would like to prepare um, a revised draft ordinance or use the existing draft ordinance that we have, whatever you decide here today. We want to do that in March. Um, we'd like to prepare the environmental document in March as well for um, the ordinance. We need to go out to the max. We like to do that through March and April. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to lie to you, I've already scheduled myself. I'm so confident we're going to come to a conclusion here today. Um, and then we'd like to be back in May before you with the comments from the max, with the draft ordinance that we um, agree to in concept today for a recommendation to the Board of Supervisors. And then we'd like to have this wrapped up at the board in June, um, early June, if at all possible. So with that, um, I don't know how you'd like to proceed. We could go through each one of these and you could tell me to include it or not include it. You could reject it outright. Um, it's really at your discretion how you want oh, to proceed. Okay, why don't we go just, you know, one at a time through the sure. seven items and then that way we can comment and if we want to do changes or reject or accept. Uh, went the wrong way. Wow. Okay, so the first one is, right now we have a definition of event which we have talked about uh, the Vintners Association is acting, asking that we replace the event definition with the definition for promotional activity and that um, the promotional activity have two sub um, activities contained in it, a routine activity and a special activity. I should say on the tail end of that, routine activities would be unlimited is the proposal. Special activities would be 12 and then um, anything beyond 12 would require an ARP. Would the Mandarin growers be able to come at the next meeting and do the same thing, ask for a revising, or the almond growers or someone else? But that, that would be at your discretion. But it would uh, be possible. If it, they said, yeah, we'll listen to some more people about if, if they came under public comment and you directed staff to come back for a sixth workshop, we would come back for a sixth workshop. 
let me be clear, I do not want to come back for a six workshop. I would like some resolution today so that we can move forward. Um, there's a possibility, there is, you know, we are going to go to the max, we are going to discuss whatever comes out of this hearing today, and then we're going to be back here um, for a recommendation. So there's still some public process to go here. But, you, know, you know, George, I guess maybe to follow up on that, uh, you know, we went through the event ordinance. Event and ordinance, that's, correct. You know, that's already been passed. But yes. In terms of what we're looking at here today, uh, some of the requirements in that are rather onerous. In the event center ordinance? Yeah. They are. And, uh, you know, the intent of that ordinance was also the same as this, to uh, allow event centers to be supplemental to uh, primary agricultural activities in the agricultural zone. That was what we talked about when we did the event center ordinance. And so I guess just in the top of my mind, there's a, what did you say, an incongruity with that presents in between two Placer County ordinances, potentially. I guess, uh, I guess what Mickey might have been asking is, uh, does that open the door? Or you're saying you don't want to see the door open, but at any rate, I guess uh, kind of the issue I'm seeing is uh, we went through all that uh, many months of work with the event center, and we may have, depending on what we do here, produced uh, an ordinance that basically, other than the one or two people that already uh, have a, the permit may be uh, unimplementable, um, or nobody will do it. Nobody will do it. So we oh. produced a document that maybe didn't really have much meaning in comparison with what we might be looking at here. Mm -hmm. So that's just an issue. I don't know. You can't resolve it for me today, but right. in my in my head, I you know it makes you wonder what are we doing here, folks? Kind of thing, you know, when we produce one that's very restrictive and now we're talking about another one that is very similar but not not near as restrictive. So, well, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to well, by that. So, so you understand, we brought forward what the vintners want. At this point, it's your, it's your decision about what you would like to do with regard to that, to that uh, proposal. You can allow parts of it, you can allow all of it, you can allow none of it. So if you have concerns, um, Now's the time for us to discuss those, and, and I'm not going to advocate one way or the other. I'm going to make sure that you have the best possible information and understand everything, and then you uh, will give me direction, hopefully, so I can move forward. Okay, thank you. Mr. Chairman, um, like George, I don't know that I want to sit through another workshop. What if I need to, but don't know that that's uh, something I aspire to do. Um, that being said, some of the changes I'm seeing here kind of open the door to make this ripe for abuse. Mm -hmm. Whether the existing operators are currently abusing it or not isn't the issue. And some of this is kind of just like a, a blank check, you know, it's just, it's, it's an open door for, to be ripe for abuse. Um, we kind of worked our way through this process and put in what we thought were some checks to prevent right. that abuse. And I see some of the teeth being pulled back out of those. With the enforcement not having much teeth to it already, um, I have some concerns about what we're, what we're potentially doing to the balance of the residential people around there. 
I understand very much that agricultural is a, a commercial use with related to the growing and production of the thing, but as soon as you open the door to sale of agricultural products, how far do you go? I mean, is, is leather products because they came from a cow. I mean, you know, you can just, you can stretch that as far yeah. as the imagination can go. And I don't see anything in here that gives those who just want peaceful country living a, 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 a shadow hope that there's going to be some some stops in this as to how far it can go. Um, and I don't know how, I don't know if we, we ask when they go to the MACs, if you, you pose that question to them and get some recommendations from, from the MACs as to how we could could add that into this or, or change this to, to get there, to get some assurances. Um, but, but right now I just, I'm getting, getting more uncomfortable with the way we're heading. Well, I'm going to have to agree a little bit yeah. with Jeffrey. My, my concern is that I know I'm somewhat facetious about the Mandarin growers. Yeah, I know. But the, the concept is simply that if we've gone through a process to determine the answer to the questions that have been brought up in the public for the last year, and a special interest group comes at the very last minute as such making a proposal and we start acting on them, are we showing favoritism to, over the other agricultural businesses in the county? I'm afraid we might be. They have special circumstances. I, I, I love wineries, but I, I fear other people saying, wait a minute, that's not, we didn't go through this process so that we change it at the last minute. And then I'm afraid that if we do this now, I mean, we could tweak it a little bit, but if we start changing entire definitions of event when we've been going through event ordinance, uh, event center ordinances, it seems to me a little unfair to the other people who've been coming in for the last year yeah. and talking about it and their situation. Anyway, so as the rest of the board knows. Yeah, yeah let me see. I wanted to, you know, um, I was a member of the Ag Ag Agricultural Commission many years ago, and uh, one of the issues that was very much in the front of that commission was uh, the ability for people that produce something on their land to be able to sell it. And it gets real confusing sometimes like uh, when they when this ordinance first started coming up many years ago what uh, the county really was looking at wineries when they started getting confused about the word commercial was that the uh, wineries had to comply with uh, all the same road restrictions that you'd have to comply with in a in a commercially zoned district and it really challenges the farm sales part of it. You know, it's kind of like a farm stand and you need to sell your products out of your farm stand. And, and so, uh, I guess what I'm getting at is, uh, you know, I, I think what we're talking about here is farm sales. And if we get too far from that, then uh, we're getting into another area that maybe we don't want to go to. But, you know, the boundary part of it, I surely hear that. I yeah, I'm really kind of challenged by what yeah, we're seeing. No, and I, I tend to agree with that because, I mean, I've, I've heard some comments that were almost contradictory from the winery people saying, well, if we have a big wedding or somebody's big birthday and stuff, and then they short, you know, they end up having to shut down their tasting room for 
the ones that are coming in just to taste wine and buy it, you know, saying, well, just get $100 for it, but we know that they're going to buy more product and it exposes it. Sure, it might expose it, but the people are there for the wedding. They're not there specifically for the wine. They're maybe for the ambience of the, mm-hmm. you know, like the setting or whatever, but it's not selling a product. So I guess in my mind, I always end up seeing the winery and tasting room become all, all of a sudden an event center mm-hmm. where they can make more money a year, you know, doing an event, doing weddings and, and other types of items than tending to the winery in the tasting room and stuff. And um, I, I have heartburn with making a big change with it. Now, if it were saying, you know, in, in this draft ordinance that they can only have 20 people at a time, but the winery is big enough to have 25 or 30 people and they can accommodate the parking without having to all of a sudden go out and park, you know, off the designated parking areas and stuff. That's something maybe we could look at. But, to, you know, I sort of agree with what everybody's saying to open it back up and no restrictions and stuff is. Mm-hmm. I do think that um, when you look at the winery business, and, you know, I, I kind of agree with it, maybe we didn't, or I shouldn't say we, uh, you know, the way they conduct business, you know, has got to fit into this process. If we are putting stops in there that really get in the way of the way wineries do conduct business, you know, they have uh, wine club groups. And there may be a fairly significant number of people, and they may, uh, when they have their wine club people come pick up the wine, they, uh, you know, have food and uh, an event type thing around that. And and so if our ordinance gets so restrictive that they can't really conduct uh, a wine club event, or oftentimes, you know, an event at a winery where people just come and they bring their lunch and they get a bottle of wine and and enjoy a conversation in the ambience of the of the uh, foothills of Placer County. You know, that's that's an important aspect, uh, too, I think, because, you know, I mean, a lot of us live in the city, and, you know, if, if they get to go out in the country and and have a, a, a great day, then, you know, they get to share some of what the ambience of Placer County is, you know, is the people who live there, so. But, but even even with that, Say you had ten people drive in that are going to do that. They're not. They're not going to sit there and eat lunch and drink wine for four or five hours. Oh no! You know it's going to be for a short period of mm-hmm. time, and and they move on. I mean, I I sort of see it as people coming to the tasting room. You know, you might have one group come in, and then as they're leaving, you know, other people are they're coming and going you know, all day long, but it's mm-hmm. not like having, you know, 200 people, 200 people coming and then, then being there for, you know, up to 12 hours, you know, just at one time and all right. the music and stuff. Cause I've heard 
where some of them talk about the food aspect of it, well, we don't really need the commercial kitchen, or we're not doing... See, where does a, a five-course meal out of a commercial <coughs> kitchen fit into the agricultural country ambiance? You know, I mean, we're kind of swinging full circle and losing it again. Yeah, and, and most wineries do, you know, the, the cheese or something that's right with the wine in their mm -hmm. tasting. Um, I don't think any of us have an issue with wineries promoting their product. I think it's just to what extent we're, we're willing to have them have an impact on these rural communities. Um, I guess I have to say I'm, I'm biased as I was when we went through the event center process too because I, I previously lived near um, a facility that had outdoor events and it is incredibly intrusive. I mean, I just, it, it was uh, very frustrating to not just myself, but everybody in the community around us. And uh, so I'm very sympathetic to those who are impacted by this. So I, I would be very surprised, George, if you go out to the max, that they are strongly object to what's being proposed. Because as Jeff stated, and I think where I saw all our heads kind of shake. Would, would strongly oppose what the Ventners are proposing. I think they would strongly oppose it. But I think as Jeff was stating, and again, I saw most of our heads shaking yes, is this what they're proposing as far as the, uh, how you uh, identify the different types of uh, events and uh, how many people are, can go to those events, that there will be abuse. And, uh, and I, just, I think we're just, would really open the door up to a lot of issues if we allowed this to happen. And I, I, I know that we're sort of beating around the edges of this, but I would very clearly come out and tell you that I object to what the, they're proposing as far as identifying these events. Um, I, just, I, I, I just think it's excessive. I think in other counties, you, uh, I think somebody pointed this out, in a lot of the other counties, there's, there's the acreage sizes are much greater and so that there's more of a buffer between uh, a lot of these uh, rural areas and the people living who are not necessarily involved with the winery. Uh, our county, I mean, I think we've gone back to this when we were going through the event center. If you look at how the, the, the parcel sizes, they are really small through a lot of this area. They've already been broken up. So uh, I, you know, that's why I think there's a greater sensitivity to how we look at it versus maybe some of these other counties. So. Again, I, I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm not. Uh, I, I, there's some of the other items I might be a little flexible on, but this one I, I, I can't see being flexible. Okay, is that sort of a consensus? I don't know that we gave George any direction at this well, point. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking for um, removing the definition of event as or a no, or changing it as well. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I would say that it's consensus, you know, I see some merit in what they're trying to do here, you know, like the uh, explanation of the guy that wants a birthday party and uh, or the uh, board of supervisor candidate that wants to have a, <laughs> in a, in a, come to a winery and use that as a fundraiser and that kind of stuff, you know, uh, to feel limited in those, uh, you know, that's part of their business, you know, to be able to get people out there. So I can, I can hear that thing there. I guess 
maybe some of the things that we're talking about here with uh, weddings and uh, I don't know how you would define it, but uh, you know, it, to me, it seems like if somebody wants to really have big events, they need to have, go to the event center ordinance. And so, so uh, you know, I'm kind of agreeing that maybe this tentative, I mean, the event center event definition that we were going on before might be a little too restrictive. But I don't know how to loosen that up for you. So, and that's, well, that's I, would it be? Beneficial to maybe look at numbers for start of right. If if we have an unlimited number of events, do we cut the number of people down to twenty so Grandpa can have his birthday party and that kind of stuff, and 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 assume that's less intrusive on the neighborhood than seventy five or a hundred people at an unlimited event, unlimited number. Go through all of that. All yeah, I know that's I, I what. But the same thing. Is it going to be okay for Paul, but not for Peter? Yeah. Because I think we sort of said that anyway right. with the number that could come to the tasting room during right. a day. Yeah. Um, so we, we didn't set a number for the day. You could have a couple hundred people come yeah, through come your through tasting room, room in a day. If if you know you drove up and then yeah. uh, supervisor. Commissioner Gray came, you know, that there's no limit on tasting. Right. It's when a group of people come for a specified activity, birthday party, book club, that sort of thing. Wedding. That's, event. yeah, an event. What we've already defined as an event. What we spent yes. a year yeah. defining, going through the numbers like Jeffrey said. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of think maybe part of the problem here too is when we're talking about the event center definition, that was either, either administrative use permit or a condition use permit, I forget exactly what it came out, but in this case, uh, as it's proposed, this is a condition of zoning, so there's no, right. no permits or... review at all, right. yeah. it's open-ended. And there's always the option, if, if, if staff goes out to the max and there's a consensus from the max that the number needs to be upward or downward, we're going to bring that back to you guys for your consideration when we come back. So if we left it the way it is and you presented it to the max like you were going to do before the vintners made their suggestions, then we'd still be hearing back from them saying the numbers aren't quite enough to keep our guys. Yeah, my, 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 I, I suspect that when I go forward to the max that there will be um, much more robust debate because I believe the vintners are going to go to as well this time. Mm -hmm. And when I come back, I have an idea of what the max thought was or was not a good idea. If you leave the definition of event in right now, if the max thought it was, you know, needed to be moved upward or that we needed to put in, you know, promotional activities or anything like that that's presented by the vintners, I'm going to bring that all back. Mm -hmm. You know, George, I guess one, one question I have, and I think you're probably going to have some fairly heated MAC meetings, but uh, at any rate, I guess a, a concern is, uh, you know, I'm hearing maybe what I'm trying to express too is there's some business practices that go with uh, running a, a winery. And in order to be successful in that business, you know, you, and, and you're talking about reasonable business practices. And so in the discussion, I guess it seems like somehow, and I don't know if I can define it as well as some of the winery people, but. At any rate, it seems like those business practices have to be somehow factored in so we, when we finally come up with an ordinance, we just don't uh, eliminate the business altogether that we uh, have provided an ordinance that uh, allows, you know, wineries to uh, 
actually function and function as a business so that they can right. make some money. So as you go forward, there's some of the things you might want to consider, like in the definition of event. Um, you know, if a winery is 4.6 to 10 acres, maybe 20, 50, whatever the number is, that's appropriate. But if you're over 10 acres, maybe you should be allowed to have a few more people or, or, or a, a larger number. Those are all things that you can consider when we come back. Mm -hmm. uh, or not. Right. It's like at your discretion. Mm -hmm. I'm here to do what you would like to have done. Sure. I just think if it goes back to the max, I would, would request, George, that you ask them specifically what they would recommend to, to stop this from, from being abused, you know, from getting out of hand. And, um, and when you go back, I'm sure the, the vintners will be putting their uh, um, proposals to the max so that they can, you know, influence them to influence us. But rather than us rechange everything that right. we've already done, yeah, I think what you should present to the max is what we came up with at the last workshop, and that they, the vintners, can certainly make an argument that they believe it's too restrictive at those MAC meetings, and you get your feedback. Yeah. Uh, okay, gentlemen, can I, there's two things in here though that I I would actually um, like to change. I would I would like to change the definition of tasting facilities. It's the same definition. It's just a little bit more specific. It, it spells out the law. That I, I think that would be. Okay, that. Yeah, I don't have a problem. I think okay. I agree. And the second thing is, um, I would also like to bring forward the new chart, not w without the routine and special activities. This new chart, I did this chart mostly for the benefit of everyone who's going to read this ordinance. This chart is much easier to follow for a lay person. It's like a multiple, it's like multiplication tables, whereas our old charts are all over the place. This essentially says the same thing with, with the exception that in resort, the six pieces of property that we have, that you could have a winery. I, and I think we've already made the determination that you can do that, and I think we've discussed it here before, yeah. but this chart actually reflects it. I don't have a, an you know, objection to right. that, other than you have added what the vintners are proposing along the bottom. That would come out. Which, which oh, you're going to take that off. That would take out. I, I would take, I would take that out and just have the new chart in the in the ordinance. I take out. Right. Can you go back to the last slide, please, George? The the definitions. The the you were just at before your chart. Um, you mean routine that activity? You, okay, um, uh, where we have a reference to. Um, where is it? The California Code. I'm oh. not seeing it now, but you. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. I took you to the wrong. This one. Okay. Um, can we get? I mean, like it says. It says uh, al alcohol-related. There we go. Uh, there we go. Incidental sales of wine-related merchandise and food, as required by the state law. Is there? Um, can we expect? I mean, I have no idea what that. What that's saying, really? You mean the related? Well, what is related? What's allowed by law? Certainly, the law itself must expand on it if we're referencing the law. I'd like to know a little bit about more what that allows. Yeah, I can do that. Thank you. I, 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 my, my assumption has always been it's T-shirts, hats, uh, any anything inside the tasting room that promotes their product. Yeah, I, I, that's what I've always assumed it is. And I, I mean, I, I just, I. I, I would assume logically that that's the case, but since we're dealing with law, logic fails right. often, and um, 
I'd just like to know for sure. Yeah, and the other thing I would tell you is um, the task force from the county did visit most of the wineries. I didn't go to every one, but most of the wineries do sell things exactly like I just described. Yeah. Not even to that extent, really. They're, most of them don't have T-shirts. Most of them don't have hats. They just have stuff. Nothing super offensive. I mean, uh, that was pretty definitive, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, Mr. George? Yes. On uh, number five. Uh, number five. Noise regulations. Yeah. Um, maybe it makes sense. But that last sentence, it says, uh, you know, if a winery is required to have a conditional use permit, minor or administrative use permit by ordinance, limits on noise may be placed on those permits that are more restrictive, but if less restricted than the, uh, uh, you know, I had, I've been reading that two or three times, and I don't know really what it says. Of course, I'm not an attorney, so. Which one is, if a winery is required to have a conditional use permit, but a case less restrictive, by this ordinance, limits on the noise may be placed on those permits that are, uh, no, that are more restrictive. But in, yeah, no, wait, are more restrictive, but in no case less restrictive than the standards contained in this section. So whatever, what, whatever noise regulations are contained in the ordinance that we bring forward, if you had to get a conditional use permit for a winery, that that conditional use permit could have more restrictive regulations that are in the ordinance, but in no case less. So in other words, so it's even, it's even a more tightening of, of noise regulations. It's, so when you get a use permit, yeah, it's a possibility of four times. Yes, thank you. I'll, I'll fix, yeah, I'll fix the typo. Okay. Yeah. Hey, Richard, you could be a lawyer. What? Actually, you could be a lawyer. <laughs> no. You're reading that. So um, I'll fix the typo on that, and uh, we'll move forward. So tasting facilities, wine-related merchandise, noise stays the same. Stays the same. Um, anything else? So well, essentially, what I'm here, what I'm hearing is um, everything basically stays the same, with the exception of you don't have a problem with the chart, you don't have any problem with the change in the tasting room definition to be more specific with regard to the code, and um, um, alcohol, and the and the, a definition of alcohol and wine-related merchandise. You'd like to know more about what that is, and also um, when I go out to the max. Um, Commissioner Moss also asked me to present the idea of what would might be an appropriate number if they disagree with the one that's in our definition of event right. that you've proposed. What would be an appropriate number? Would it be would it be 50 or 75 if you have 20 acres or 10 acres, or to be 100 or you know, something like that to get to get that information and bring it back to you? I guess also just one more thing. It seems like. Uh, at the max, uh, maybe would, you need to have an invited representative. A what? I'm sorry. Invited representative of the wineries or the ag commission that can uh, discuss the uh, conditions that are required as part of 
reasonable business practices if you're going to be in the winery business? My understanding from the vintners having conversations before this workshop. What's that? My understanding from the Vintners Association having, having, having had conversations with them prior to this workshop is that they intend, they intend to send someone to every MAC okay. to put forth their position. So, um, Excuse me. Do you, would somebody from the agriculture department also go? From the ag, that would, that would be, um, I would leave that up to Josh Hunsinger who was sitting behind me. Still sitting behind me, the agricultural commissioner, that um, if he would like someone there to represent um, their position, I will. We ask for best you know, management practices. Yeah. You know, one side should have the other side, so it's been explained. So you know, as part of the MAC process, well, not not a MAC. I do go to the agricultural commission, and I do treat it just like a MAC. I ask for their opinion. I ask for their input, and like on event centers, um, I brought that information back to you with the MAC information. Okay. So that was very helpful, actually, and um, I've learned a lot since the event center ordinance. I've actually scheduled the Ag Commission right up front so um, I can get the Ag Commission's opinion about how they think wineries should operate in the agricultural regions. Um, mm -hmm. Having that knowledge as I move forward into the MACs is very helpful to me. Okay, that's, that's, that's all I'm asking for. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, if I understand right, with a few changes that I discussed a little bit earlier, the ordinance stays as is, and I take it yes. forward to the max. Is that correct? Yeah, from our, our position. Yeah. Do we need to take a vote on that, Karen? No? No. Uh, as long as it's clear as mud. I should, I should, not, have, I should not have asked. Um, <laughs> Thank you, George. Okay, so the motion would have to contain... I have to contain um, that the ordinance goes forward as is with the exception that um, the new chart be installed um, with the uh, addition of the resort uh, allowance. That would be one part of the motion. Second part would be um, that um, the um, tasting room regulations can be changed per the Vintners Association. Um, could be changed per the regulation um, on there with the more specific state stuff. Um, three, uh, let me think, there's a third. Oh, that um, define wine merchandise in the tasting room. Um, what is wine merchandise? Uh, did I miss anything? Any changes to the noise ordinance section, or is that going to no, remain no, the same with the? No, it's going to remain the same. The and then, um, we'll see. And then back to the zoning chart. Uh, what the changes do not include the routine activities and special activities. Right. Do not include routine or special. No. The kit, did we, we never really got into the kitchen. No, you already did the kitchen. I mean, well, yeah. we did the kitchen several times. Kit, yeah, but it's no. Yeah. Um, can we just, kitchen. can we just, are you done? Yeah, I'm done. Okay, can we just say so move? Or do we need to? Yes. Yeah, so move. Second. 
Yeah. The, oh, are we doing a vote on this? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A uh, roll call for a vote. Doesn't it oh. have to do roll call? Yeah. We'll do the roll call. Mr. Sevison's absent. Mr. Gray? Yes. Mr. Moss? Yes. Mr. Johnson? Yes. Mr. Nader? Yes. Mr. Rickucci's absent. Mr. Denial? Yes. Yeah. Let me see, just, <laughs> just real quickly before, on the, uh, I guess uh, Jeffrey was the one that was bringing up restaurants. Yes. And I think I heard what you, this is just clarification, I think I heard you say that restaurants are pretty well clear, uh, described in another ordinance? In, in the winery ordinance, it actually says, and this might need some tightening up, it actually says you can have a commercial kitchen in association with the winery for on-site events. However, you cannot run a restaurant. Okay. And, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And based, <laughs> as the ordinance is written, it made, it made great sense. But uh, if, if it were to change, huh? it, would, it would change, it would need to change. It would need to be much more specific depending on on the direction this goes in. Yeah. As written, it works. If there's a change in the amount of events or something that could take place, we might need to revisit that provision. So I could drive a truck through that ordinance. Well. <laughs> Mr. Chairman, I Josh, did you have a comment? One little clarification I wanted to add on the, on the commercial oh. kitchen issue. Uh, as George mentioned, we went around and with various county staff and visited a number of our wineries to ascertain exactly what's going on, you know, in practice. And uh, our environmental health department was one of the departments that uh, went with us on those visits. And um, they are, of course, uh, responsible for regulating the California Food Code. And one of the points they made very clear and re reiterated over and over again so that although I'm not an expert on the California Retail Food Code, you hear something often enough, it sticks with you. And their strict interpretation of our food safety laws is that if you take a knife out and cut a slice of cheese, put it on a plate, and hand it to somebody, that requires some level of commercial kitchen facility to be on site in order to make sure that knife is cleaned properly and that dish is cleaned properly and that food safety is ensured. So just as you think about this commercial kitchen facility issue, um, there, there's commercial kitchens and then there's commercial kitchens. So please just keep that in mind that any type of food prep, such as little snacks, anything other than opening up a bag of crackers and dumping them out onto a paper plate without touching anything basically requires a commercial kitchen of some sort. So I just want to add that in for your thought. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, gentlemen. Okay. Thank Thanks you, George. Way. And thank thank you all for coming. Did you have and a couple more comments huh? Oh, oh. Yes, yes. Yes, we did. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. There were a couple people, if they're still here, that wanted to make comments on other items than these. And if you'd like to come up and talk about it, we'll, we'll let you. And thank you, everybody else that's. You were so quick on the hammer. I, we were reaching down, and um, Mr. Stevenson had to leave. My name is BJ Baker. And we just want to talk about the uh, Douglas Corridor and the Cory Ponds uh, adventure or proposal that's coming up. So um, basically, um, Mr. Stevenson said that he wanted to thank you so much for uh, allowing us to attend the meeting. And um, 
What we want to focus on is um, stressing the uh, Granite Bay Community Plan and an effort, and and uh, this, these aren't my notes, so forgive me, uh, and the time that it's taken to uh, put the community plan by the MAC and the BOS Planning Commission and the community, and the deviations from this plan, which have been approved since 2012, that have had major impacts or would have major impacts on the rural lifestyle of our community, and that we are requesting a number and, and the requesting of a number of variances of the rezoning on Douglas. We want to stress um, that there are already empty uh, businesses and office buildings along the Douglas Corridor in Granite Bay, and um, by building some of the future five, I believe there's five or six new proposals, um, there are already buildings that people can rent that are empty. So we want you to think about that as we go forward. Um, uh, and in regards to Quarry Pond, an event center should be located at either end of the corridor, not in the middle. Uh, and that's a one mile radius. I was just looking at it on my community plan because I did work on the community plan. That's a one mile radius that we're talking about inserting these six new rezoning uh, businesses. And on mine, I'll, I'll talk about that. Um, <clears throat> um, so, and the next question that we want to ask about, besides the safety and traffic hazards of the pond and the event center there, is um, why would why would the Planning Commission allow Lisa Powers, who already went bankrupt on Quarry Pond, build another development adjacent to that? It's kind of strange. And um, there are a few events that do not serve alcohol. Would you want your children driving up the Douglas Corridor and uh, along with 250 impaired drivers that have just left an event in the middle of Douglas, uh, trying to make U-turns and speeding and then others that are speeding along Douglas? And then uh, Mr. Stevenson also said uh, to consider the traffic versus the commercial corridor of Douglas. And uh, the market research, what market research indicates that uh, the drives need for such a project, oh, that there's a drive that needs such a project and a structure on Douglas. And then he wrote, last of all, what is the long-term impact on the Granite Bay overall in property values, congestion, and road maintenance, public safety, and the public safety requirement. So everyone's really concerned about this, um, the ponds, as well as, uh, for me, my part um, of the Douglas Corridor, which I have many friends that just don't care for driving Douglas at all. I personally don't mind it. I'm from the Bay Area, and I get through it quite well right now. But. Um, I was just trying to do the math on the 26 lofts that are going into the pond if it passes, and then indeed um, the the four or five new proposals of rezoning on Douglas, which would be the ponds, the memory care center, the Granite Bay Medical Office, and the Granite Bay Estates Professional Center. And I kind of did the math, and I said that if you have 26 lofts and all of those have at least two people at any hour of the day maybe coming in and out, along with all the office doors that would go into those four proposals, and um, in that one mile radius, I'm thinking that we could possibly get 500 or more cars at any one time, not counting the event center, going in and out Douglas, and I personally live on the corner of uh, Berg, um, and uh, Douglas, kind of just around the corner on Granite Falls Way. And I enjoy watching people walk their dogs, ride their bikes, and walk. And I'm thinking that if all of this gets approved, I'd really like you to think about, about my community and how beautiful it is right now. 
and uh, what are we going to do with that one mile radius and all the open area? And I like red wine, and listening to everyone today that was here, I think it would be really wonderful if we just grow some grapes there and have some of those events and wine tasting. Thank you very much. Hello, and, and thank you for giving us the opportunity because I did take time off from work to come here. I appreciate it. And it's very short. I brought it up. It's basically what, oh, my name is Arlene Keeley, and I live um, on Burke Street in Granite Bay. Um, I just wanted to kind of say what she's saying, but I did prepare something. Um, I wanted to say that there are numerous Granite Bay projects in the pipeline which will come up for your approval soon. All of them require significant variances from the Granite Bay Community Plan, um, either for rezoning or for variances to setbacks and signage. One even proposes to eliminate 99% of the existing trees in order to accommodate the construction of two buildings and parking. These projects will more than likely trigger the installation of a traffic light at Bergen Douglas, which is not supported in the circulation element of the plan. An additional traffic light less than a half mile from Barton Road will hinder the corridor design of Douglas Boulevard. This design was to keep non-local traffic moving efficiently from Folsom to Roseville, keeping that traffic outside our neighborhood streets. None of these projects support the goals and policies of the recently updated community plan. In fact, they're in direct conflict with the primary focus of the plan, which is to offer a rural lifestyle char characterized by the predominance of large lots in the northern section of the community and limited commercial development. And it goes on, but those are what I wanted to say. Any new development shouldn't be in direct contrast to this goal. Our community plan provided for the current landscape, the green open space we, existing residents, desire and appreciate. Please do not allow this plan to be treated as a starting point going, uh, going forward for negotiation. This plan should be respected and enforced. Thank you very much. Thank you. Did you have any comments, EJ? No, just, just real quick. I mean, there's a, as I met, talked to you, the commissioners earlier today, there's, a, there's probably a dozen or so new projects down the Granite Bay area. So that's something that, you know, the commission will have to look forward to. Uh, there's a lot of different issues related to all of those. Uh, right now, most of them are going through environmental review, so they're kind of in the early stages of the process. Uh, and all of those will be going to the MAC, Granite Bay MAC, of course, uh, as information items, also action items. The uh, ponds project is is further along than all of them. They are through their environmental review, environmental review process. Uh, they that will probably be scheduled for the commission either late March or early April. So that'll probably be the first uh, Grand Bay project that uh, will be under for your consideration. Okay. Thank you. With that, we'll go ahead and close the meeting. Okay. Bang, Bang down. Down.